This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, hopefully you had a nice weekend. I certainly did. Uh, a lot of fun stories from this weekend. I will share some of them with you throughout the course of the morning. Uh, a lot to get to today. A couple of quick notes. One, let me wish a happy Rosh Hashanah to all of our Jewish listeners. This is a Big day. Uh, This is a happy Jewish holiday. It seems like a lot of the Jewish holidays, and I don't pretend to be an expert in Jewish holidays, but uh, it seems like a lot of the Jewish holidays are kind of dour. They're kind of depressing. But uh, Rosh Hashanah is no question a big day. It's a Jewish New Year, and I'm sure a lot of you uh, were partying hardy, drinking your Manischewitz at the matzah ball drop at midnight. So let me wish you Shona Tova to everybody that celebrates an action-packed show. Uh, I did not expect to have any guests today because I like to do that once in a while. I'll just do a show where uh, I just riff, tell some stories, take some calls, etc. But we got word that... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents breaking news. Former governor of New Jersey, Jim Florio has uh, passed away. Now, uh, listeners of WABC in New York and New Jersey will no doubt remember Jim Florio. And this is, I hate to say this, but this is how mostly I remember Jim Florio, uh, by how Bob Grant pilloried him. Uh, Not only would he call Jim Florio flib flab Florio, but he would vow to make the state of New Jersey Florio free in 1993, which he did. With his advocacy on on the part of uh, Christine Todd Whitman, and uh, he was somebody I uh, I got to meet him a couple times, booked him on a couple of radio shows. An interesting guy. He was uh, very well known as a congressman for some time from Brooklyn originally. Had served in the U.S. Navy uh, for a while and actually achieved the rank of uh, lieutenant commander. A guy that seemed pretty tough. Um, even when he was, you know, in uh, political fights. So he's an interesting guy. Always, even his uh, political opponents, even Bob Grant in later years, had nothing but good things to say about him as a person. He really was hurt by going back on his pledge not to raise taxes. He ran for governor back in 1989 on a pledge not to raise taxes and then did exactly the opposite, and that hurt him in terms of his election, his, you know, he had tried to run for governor three times uh, before ultimately being successful. Well, he was successful in his third attempt. And he actually tried to run against an incumbent Democrat, Brendan Byrne, and then uh, ran against Tom Kane, lost to Brendan Byrne, lost to Tom Kane, and then won in 89, and then was defeated by Christine Todd Whitman in 93. 
And we're hoping to have David Wildstein from the New Jersey Globe on in a second. He can confirm this. But I believe in doing so, I would think Jim Florio has got to be the only major candidate, maybe not, uh, who actually lost to three different New Jersey governors. Uh, Here to straighten us out and tell us a little bit more about Jim Florio is the managing editor of the New Jersey Globe, David Wildstein. Hello, David. Hey, Frank. How are you? Good. Uh, Thanks for joining me. Thanks for uh, pointing out this uh, breaking news to our attention. Of course. course. Uh, So before we uh, talk about Jim Florio's tenure as governor, what was he like as a person? I imagine you knew him for quite a long time. Uh, What kind of a guy was he? God, I remember him from when I was a kid, and he was he was running for Congress. I mean, he 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 was a statesman, and people didn't always agree with him, but he did what he thought was right, even if it, it was to his own political peril. And and he was a tough guy. I mean, he never uh, he never gave up those roots from Brooklyn. I mean, he was he was a he he was a fighter as a kid. I mean, became a boxer, went into the Navy. Uh, he. When he believed in something, he gave it his all. And, and you know, at the end of somebody's career, that's really what you want somebody to say about you. I, I, one of the things I've really struggled to understand in New Jersey is why there's such a stigma of running off the line and not running. If you're not the party line candidate, there's a, a big hesitance to actually run. Florio actually ran, if I'm remembering the history correctly, against an incumbent Democrat for governor in Brendan Byrne. Is that accurate in 77? He did. He, did. he was uh, uh, he had gotten elected to the House in, in 74. So he was a two term congressman. Brendan Byrne uh, be, started advocating for the state income tax and uh, had a lot of problems with his own party. So there were 10 candidates in that primary. And and Florio came in with a strong base in South Jersey uh, and came in fourth. But he he took on an incumbent governor. And that that doesn't happen uh, very often uh, at all. Oh, no. I mean, especially I don't think it happens in any state regularly, but especially in uh, in New Jersey, it doesn't. I remember that race against Tom Kane in 1981. That was a race that attracted national attention. Uh, I know. I think uh, my friend Roger Stone actually worked on that campaign on behalf of uh, of Tom Kane. He did, and, and he has, did. has talked to me about that race a bit. Why was that such a big deal? That Kane versus Florio race in '81. So these were these were two guys who won crowded fields in the primary, both making their second run. Kane had run in '77 also and lost the primary, and this was the. This was the closest race in New Jersey history. I mean, it was it wasn't over until uh, right right around Thanksgiving. Uh, it was recount after recount. They wound up changing the recount laws as a result of that race because what oh. would happen is is it, it, it was only about fifteen hundred votes statewide. I mean, it was it was razor thin. So every time. Kane would claw back a lead, he would say, remember, you have to pay for recounts. So you have to pay for each machine that you open up and recount. So Kane would get ahead and he'd say, okay, I'm winning. I'm not paying for a recount anymore. And then Florio would have to run to court and say, now I want a recount. And Florio would jump ahead and then Kane would do it. And they were leapfrogging back and forth. And and uh, this race was 
this race was the closest in New Jersey history. I mean, and it just uh, uh, and it was, it was two guys who really went at each other. They they became respectful of each other in later years, but they they didn't like each other, and it was it was a tight race. In uh, 1989, when he finally won, he made sort of this George. H.W. Bush type yeah. promise to not raise taxes. He subsequently went went back on that. Was that what spelled his uh, his defeat when he ran against Christy Whitman in '93? Yeah, that was that was the you know it, it's 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 complex in the sense that he came right in and and raised taxes right away, and it wasn't just a little increase; it was a two point eight billion dollar increase, mm. and and. It created there was there was this movement called Hands Across New Jersey, uh, probably the greatest grassroots effort ever. You know our, our friends at 1015 uh, in New Jersey just 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 latched on that. It really is what put them on the map, and and you know Florio Florio did, and, and he regretted it in late he, he didn't regret it in later years actually. He it was just it was sort of a a a. a, a, a pitfall of of how he tried to govern but an entire generation of democrats got wiped out republicans Mm. won the senate they won the assembly they were in veto-proof margins but the real news there is that floria was the most unpopular governor probably since william franklin sided with king george (laughs) uh you know and, and 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 was the most unpopular governor until chris christie came around but but he came back and he fought back and that race against Whitman. I mean, at the start, everybody thought Whitman was a sure winner. That race was only about 26,000 votes. So Florio, despite his unpopularity, he almost clawed back to a second term. And that was that was an extraordinary race by him. Uh, talking with David Wildstein, he is the almanac of New Jersey politics. You can read his uh, Incredible reporting in the New Jersey Globe. Also, there's some great YouTube videos which uh, really take you in-depth in uh, not only national politics, but especially into the weeds on New Jersey politics. There's nobody that knows more. Very quickly, as the as a talk radio fan, I have to ask about where reality meets the myth. Uh, the the people that were big proponents and big fans of Bob Grant, and I was a friend of Bob's yeah. and uh, a fan of Bob's, they give Bob a lot of credit for his anti-Florio advocacy and uh, that the role that may have played in his 93 re-election. Did Bob's constant refrain of making the state Florio-free in 1993 actually have an impact on New Jersey it, it, voters? It sure did. It sure did. And it, I mean, that... Uh, Bob Bob Grant's you know led a helped lead a, a movement there that that moved the state on Florio. It was really uh, really wasn't television because as, as as you know New Jersey doesn't have its own TV station. It, it shares it with New York and Philadelphia. Talk radio really drove mm-hmm. Florio's negatives and and Grant you know people forget it. There was a lot of talk about him running for the U.S. Senate uh, in '94 based upon uh, based upon the the name that he had built for himself uh, taking on governor florio yeah and i know in 2000 when it looked like whitman was going to run he was really thinking about it uh at running a, at that point as well uh, yeah. but um i know he tried to make a bit of a political comeback florio did uh, running for u.s senate but lost to corzine a few years later what did what did jim florio spend the last few decades of his life doing how did he spend his post-governorship so after after he lost the Senate primary, he uh, I mean he he 
was in private business and he was uh and he and he, he did a lot of uh uh work with with some banks in New York and he, he had a law firm. One of his partners was Doug Steinhardt, the former Republican huh. state chairman. Uh had a big law firm and uh and really never gave up on that he went back to this lifelong flight fight in, in protecting the environment. Mm. It was cleaning up super funds and and uh, protecting the the Pinelands in South Jersey, you know, these were things that he he had done when he was a young assemblyman. Went back to it as a former governor, and uh, I mean, he was he was at something last week, uh, 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 advocating for environmental causes. I know he was uh, eighty five when he passed away yesterday. Do we know anything about the circumstances of his passing? I don't know. He 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 had some health issues over the last few years, uh, but but. Uh, and it, it slowed him down a little bit, but but not completely. Mm. David Wildstein, it is always a treat to talk with you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us last night. Thanks for like having this. me on, Frank. Uh, David Wildstein, if you want to comment on the uh, life and legacy of Governor Jim Florio, you are welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. We were scheduled to talk with uh, Roger Stone uh, today. About this controversy involving this uh, this art, you know, this piece of AI art that I created or helped create, a computer created it with my text response, and it's basically the text prompt was Roger Stone eating pizza in Siberia, and it was in the style of a Monet with a couple of tweaks, you know, and Roger's fans started going crazy that Roger posted this picture on social media. They said this was insensitive in light of what's happened with Pizzagate. So um, Roger was going to come on today, but then what happened yesterday? Well, it looks like on Wednesday, the January 6th committee is planning to unveil some very damaging information about Roger Stone. Congressman Jamie Raskin teased that the January 6th committee is going to reveal new information about Trump ally Roger Stone. So uh, Roger called me on Sunday and said, well, you know, if they're going to drop this big bombshell on Wednesday, why don't I come on Wednesday night or Tuesday? I forget which day. Tuesday, I think they're going to drop the uh, bombshell. Why don't I come on with you on Wednesday instead? And we'll take a look at that and see what you can be the first one to hear my response to this supposed bombshell information. So I said, sure. So we're going to talk about that on Wednesday, either Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, and we'll get Roger's take on exactly what's happening. But uh, it is what it is. Now, apparently, uh, Matt Blaze was one of the people that was very frustrated with Roger's absence from the program this morning because he is out today. Now, is he out sick, as you understand it, Alex Bernard, who's uh, sitting in for him? Yeah, he's uh, he's got a big headache, and uh, it's called Frank Moreno. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah, thank you. That's funny. I see there's something about that chair where the humor or lack thereof is contagious. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, he's sick? Is that the deal? Yeah, the, the, the same cold that struck you down, I believe, is what uh, has, has taken him out, too. Well, um, I mean... He I texted mean, me earlier saying he was, you know... 
he he had a stuffy nose, he had body aches, this and that, but it doesn't seem like it's COVID, though. uh, You know, we encourage people to stay home when they're sick, so that's good. I'm glad uh, glad he's he's staying home and acting responsibly. So maybe he'll be back tomorrow, and uh, Alex Barnard will be at the controls today. So if uh, there are any technical errors, which uh, hopefully there won't be, just be patient with us because uh, Alex was sort of thrown into this last minute. So that's that. Yeah, I'm the B team. You know how it goes. Exactly. Right. Uh, 800-848-9222. Uh, one quick thing I do want to ma- You know, let me take a couple of quick calls because we're going to have plenty of time over the next three hours and 40 minutes to talk about all sorts of things. You want to comment, you can. 800-848-9222. A lot to get to today. Uh, some fun stories, some not-so-fun stories, some interesting things, some... Random observations, some not-so-random observations, and plenty of opportunity for your calls. We'll also do uh, commendations a little bit later. 800-848-9222. Paulie is in Westwood. Hello, Paulie. Paulie! Paulie! All right, Paulie's got other priorities. That's okay. All right, um, Oh, I did. let me take a quick break, and then we'll get to some of these uh, stories that I wanted to mention in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. So one of the things, if you listen to uh, John Katsimatidis regularly on the radio, one of the things that he's been warning about, and he's done that this in his own commentaries, and he's done this in his interviews with people like Charles Gasparino, and I've seen him uh, do this when he goes on Fox Business with uh, Maria Bartiromo and Stu- Stuart Varney and others, is he's been saying that the best way to fight inflation is to ramp up energy production and to reduce energy prices. Additionally, he has said that the steps that the Federal Reserve has taken to combat inflation, namely to raise interest rates, they will be they might be successful in whipping inflation, they may not be successful in whipping inflation, but what John has said, the one and he's a big developer, he's a self-made billionaire, owns all sorts of properties all over the world. And he has said, so he knows a thing or two about real estate, he has said that this will kill the real estate market. Well, uh, lo and behold, those of you that ever doubt the wisdom of John Katsimatidis uh, should do so no longer because, uh, I mean, I guess anybody could have seen this coming, but he's been the guy that's been very vocal about this. Housing prices are in a steep decline because interest rates are going up. And mortgage prices are going up. Now, the thing you have to understand as I talk about this, and I want you to be prepared, and those of you that are holding them get to you, but I want you to be prepared to answer a very simple question. 
If you were advising someone right now, either an individual or a family of four, either a young person or somebody that's a little older, how would you tell them to answer this question? Rent or buy? 1-800-848-9222. And then tell me why. Now, let me, as you, you listen to me on this, the thing you need to understand is I know nothing about real estate. I know nothing about the economy. I know nothing about inflation. So uh, this is not that much of a departure from what I normally talk about because I don't pretend to be an expert in anything. Now, uh, I guess the joke's on you for listening. Now, at the peak of 2021's home buying rush, as mortgage rates fell and families fled to the suburbs, buyers went crazy securing their dream homes. A prospective buyer in New Jersey offered $75,000 over the asking price and got rejected. Another buyer in Austin, Texas, landed their dream home by buying the seller's next house for them. And in Bethesda, Maryland, big shout out to our listeners in Maryland on WCBM, a home buyer got creative, and, and this is not a joke, I'm not making this up, a home buyer got creative and offered to name her firstborn child after the seller. And she lost. She lost. She didn't get the house. And this anecdotally goes with what I was hearing from friends of mine, from acquaintances of mine who were saying that when they would go through the process of selling a house, they would have people basically come in and audition like American Idol. People were writing them letters uh, describing these these uh, these family members that they're dependent on and these really these letters tugging at your emotional heartstrings. And then when they would sell their house and they would then have to buy a house, they would then be the one that has to convince the seller to sell the house to them. Now that the housing market is cooling and inflation is near its 40-year high, three in four, three in four recent homeowners have expressed regrets. They are most remorseful about spending too much money, not a surprise there, and buyers who actually name their baby after the seller probably have regrets of a different kind. Almost a third of buyers surveyed said they paid over the asking price. See, my wife and I, we moved in to our house about two years ago. We got lucky. We paid less than asking, but part of the in a, in a neighborhood where nobody's paying less than asking, but part of the reason that we got to do that was because uh, there was mold in the basement, and we had to have somebody come in and do mold remediation. But And we were able to use that to knock the price of the house down a little bit, but we got very lucky. A third of buyers said they paid over asking. Buyers paid a median of $65,000 over the list price. Remorseful buyers are vocal all over the Internet. One person writing on Reddit wrote that she bid $30,000 over the asking price and won, but she said she now regrets the decision daily. Another paid $50,000 over asking and can't stop looking at housing websites, comparing every little thing side by side just to justify his decision. He writes in this thread, now I feel like a complete idiot. The survey also found, and this is interesting, 
80% of home buyers had to compromise on their priorities, including location, square footage, or the spacious walk-in closet they'd always longed for. For those who opted for a fixer-upper, which is sort of what we did, they found that the costs of maintenance and repairs were astronomical. Oh, yeah, and how? I mean, we needed a roof. We needed all sorts of stuff in the bed. I mean, that's absolutely. Buyer's remorse is not something that's new when it comes to real estate. Those of you that have been, this is my first house, but those of you that have been homeowners for a long time, I'm sure, are well aware of this has existed forever. A survey in 2014 also found 80% of home buyers wanted a do-over. When the butterflies of getting that house fade a few months after moving in, regrets surface. The glittering swimming pool that seemed like such a great idea now eats up a lot of time and a lot of money. But it's a totally different ball game with these pandemic buyers. The stakes for the pandemic buyers are a little higher. In July, home prices dropped for the first time in three years. Now, that's good news for some. But it could leave buyers who paid well over asking underwater. Plus, the drop doesn't necessarily make houses more affordable for house hunters who are looking for a house right now. Why? Because the current average 30-year mortgage is 6.29% compared to 2.72% in November of 2021. That's about what we, I think, locked in our mortgage. And we got very lucky because... If we had to pay a mortgage at the, in the 6% range today, we'd be screwed. We couldn't afford to buy a house today. So that adds, that uptick in mortgage adds hundreds of dollars of monthly payments. Home inventory is increasing, but it's still 43% lower than before the pandemic. So with all the financial pressure that's out there, you may still get a deal, but I think a lot of people are regretting this. Here's the thing. Home values go up and they go down. And if you overpaid during the pandemic, I guess you can maybe console your fact yourself in the fact that you're saving from record low mortgage rates. So if you're one of these people that regrets get buying their house, stop checking your house's value on Zillow. It can now take more than a decade for a typical U.S. first-time home buyer to afford the down payment on a modest house. Now, that is simply something that middle-class people cannot be able to do. So I'll ask you the question. There's some other interesting things here. But rent or buy, what would you advise someone these days? Someone, And it could be someone at different stages of, of life. Someone in their 60s, maybe you're giving different advice to than someone in their 20s. What would you say and why? Rent or buy, 800 the newsletter The Morning Brew asked a couple of so-called experts. Joshua Dorkin, fa- founder of Bigger Pockets, said this, rent. Rent if you can't find a house hack to purchase and live in. Otherwise, buy when you're ready to settle down and don't care about the price fluctuations. Ryan Sirhunt, CEO and broker of Sirhunt, buy. Rental rates are the highest they've ever been in my entire career. And if you're not paying your own mortgage, you're paying someone else's. I mean, that's always the argument. That was an argument because I liked renting. I liked having an apartment. But that was almost verbatim the argument that my wife made, which is, you, you, you know, we could be putting this money towards a mortgage. Graham Stephan, 
real estate agent, and investor. If you plan to keep your home a minimum of 10 years and have the self-control not to obsess over Zestimate values, buy when you find the right deal. Katie Gaddy of Money with Katie. She's also the creator of Morning Brew. She says this, an area with a price-to-rent ratio that's less than 22 and you plan to stay in for a while is worth owning and anything above that threshold, rent and invest the difference. And Niles Abstin, who's a comedian, said this, I'd rather rent because I have friends that always overstay their welcome. So that's interesting. I do too. 800-848-9222. What advice would you give somebody these days? Rent or buy? Some other interesting information on this. I'll give um I'll I'll give you a couple of tidbits, but I'd rather hear from you. 800-848-9222. Al is in New Jersey. Hello, Al. Hello. Hello. Great. Yes. Hello. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. I got to move this here phone to non-speaker. Hey, uh, listen, Frank, uh, it's really a pleasure talking to you because you make a lot of sense. Oh, well, you must be listening to the wrong program. (laughs) No, I listen to you every night. I swear to God, I I, I really do. I appreciate your candor, and I appreciate the honesty that you speak the truth. You really do. Thank you. Uh, That's my opinion, but that that is the truth. Hey, listen, Frank, uh, uh, as far as buying and rent, I've been in real estate for maybe 50 years. And I'm some, somewhat retired now, but bottom line is I'm thinking about going back in it. And the reason the reason being is obviously I'm just getting tired of being bored. But uh, as far as the, the issue that you're bringing up, rent or buy, it really depends primarily on the person's financial situation. I, I personally own for the last 50 years, and uh, – it's always been good to me. Uh, re- renting is uh, it's questionable. Mm-hmm. I know people that rent and they have problems with uh, landlords or people or whatever. Sure. But at any rate, uh, it depends on your financial situation. But here's what I really my my main issue with the media, and I'm not saying you're you're speaking, is why don't you pro why don't you proclaim the fact that. The reason we have such problems in this country right now is lack of respect for one another. And as soon as they took the American flag out of the schoolrooms and didn't teach these children how to say, God bless America, because that's why they're here, and uh, that's why we're here, and uh, that's the real bottom line to our not only our economy, the respect for one another. People are killing each other for no reason at all for the money, just like what Russia's doing over there. They're doing it for the money and the oil. You know, it, there's just lack of respect in this country now. All right, now, well, I, uh, you, you said a great deal there, right? Uh, I I try to hit that theme of lack of respect and lack of civility pretty frequently. Okay, so I I don't think that's a theme that I've missed, honestly. As far as, uh, and I I do think that that can be the source of a lot of the country's problems. As far as your contention that everything is tied to it, I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, are we really saying that, um, that the decline in affordability 
And the inability of a middle-class family to buy a home is due to lack of respect. I, I'm not willing to go that far. I don't. I mean, could it? Be, could you make a case? Maybe. I, I don't see it that way. Um, now, it can take more than a decade for a first-time home buyer to afford the down payment on a modest house. So this really turns middle-class economics that have been in place for three-quarters of a century, totally upside down. Affordable homes, as we know them, are no longer affordable. Now, they weren't affordable a year ago because of the price of real estate, because the prices of the houses had just ballooned. Now, they're not affordable because of the mortgage payment. So it's an interesting situation. Surging mortgage rates, they're making the prospect of an affordable home even more distant, the rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage reached 6.7% on Friday. That's up from 3.3% at the start of the year. So what is that? That's eight and a half months. Well, I guess, yeah, eight and a half months. Technically, maybe it's nine months. And that's the kind of mortgage increase we've seen. The U.S. has a big housing crisis. There's a big shortage of no-frills homes that would give a family that's new to the country or a young couple with uh, student debt an opportunity to have a house and to build equity. This is the front-page story in today's New York Times. Factors include land costs, construction materials, government fees. The typical new home has grown in median square feet over the last 60 years, the typical household has shrunk in terms of number of people. Think about that. Those trends have been dramatically accelerated by the pandemic. It, the pandemic drove up demand. It drove up prices, and not just for primary residences, but for second homes as well. So they're saying that local policy is also a contributor to this. Um, Communities nationwide are far more prescriptive today than they were years ago. Some ban vinyl siding. Others require two-car garages. Nearly all of these communities make it difficult to build the kind of home that could sell for $200,000. That's according to the Times today. By the end of this year, It'll take 11.3 years for a first-time home buyer with a median income to save ten to save for a 10% down payment. So it has some people asking, including S&P Global wrote a report in July. Maybe the American dream, which has always included home ownership, maybe the American dream is no longer within reach for most people. It would take the the would-be homeowner 22.6 years to save for a 20% down payment. Both are more than twice the rate pre-pandemic. 60% of U.S. households could be priced out of the housing market by 2025. So I think the thing we need to look at, communities, builders, buyers, I think some people may need to rethink what a starter home looks like. According to the Times, they think the answer might be a condo. 
Not so sure. You know what I do think offers a little bit of hope in the way of a house for a young person in the future? The fact that we're starting to see more and more developers experiment with 3D printed homes. Are you familiar? I'm really interested in 3D printers. 3D printers are now being used for everything. They're being used for everything for from organs to um, devices in, in industrial machinery and, yes, for housing. And you can print a home with a giant 3D printer in a whole lot less time for a whole lot less money than what a conventional home is built for. So that's the only thing where I think technology may save us from the economic trends. But tell me what you think. If you were advising a friend or a family member these days, what would you say? Rent or buy? There's two young fellas here uh, who are in their 20s who both um, are not homeowners. What would you tell them? Should they be renting or buying? 800-848-9222. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Yeah, hi, Frank. As you know, we're just coming off uh, in the spring – uh, a big uh, seller's market, uh, you know, especially in well-to-do areas where you had bidding wars like in uh, exclusive villages in Nassau County. Uh, now, if I had to advise somebody uh, to rent or to buy, uh, if they could wait till February and see what the situation was going into spring, because as you know, spring is the the, the time when the best time if a, a prospective buyer wants to buy something like a house or a co-op. So I would just say to a person if they could wait, because as you know, we're going into the period now, the winter, the holidays aren't that far off, and that's the least active time. And like you said, with the situation the way it is uh, nationally and with these interest rates going up, uh, we're gonna. It's gonna get worse with the uh, supply and demand. But if these trends continue, with the Fed continuing to raise interest rates, which they've given every indication they will, and with mortgage rates continuing to go up, yes. wh- why would you advise people to wait until spring when the price of a, a thirty-year mortgage might even be significantly higher by then? Uh, well, you know, I just want to – because I, I think uh, – I, I can't see uh, Powell continuous, continuously uh, going to raise these rates. I mean I think he's going to have to, uh, you know, come to – I just can't see that continuing in that path. That's why. Well, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. Al, what do you do? Or do you rent or buy? Actually, right now I rent. But you do? I, I live in a family home. Okay, gotcha. All right, good for you. Yeah, like my family owns the home, my late mother. Well, that's the best uh, It's a middle-class area. Yeah. It's a nice house, but I, I'm not the owner of the house. Uh, I, I rent. All right, well, good for you. Al, thank you. 800-848-9222. Uh, rent or buy? That is the question. 800-848-9222. It's no longer to be or not to be. It is rent or buy. Michael in New Jersey, what do you, what do you think? <clears throat> yeah, buy, and I'll tell you why. Real estate is like a seesaw. When one side goes up, the other side goes down. The other side goes up, the other side goes down. If the the interest rates are going to go up, 
people aren't going to buy. And if someone wants to sell their house and retire to Florida or they're getting a, uh, their company is moving, they're going to sell their house. If they can't get the price they want, they're going to lower it. They still can't get the price they want, they're going to lower it. Prices are going to come down. The higher the interest rate, the more the house comes down. The lower the interest rate, the house goes up. So it's like a seesaw. Interest rates go down. Prices of houses go up. Prices of houses go up. Interest rates go down. It, it's, it's, you, either way, you're going to pay. If you don't pay with the right hand, you're paying with the left. Now, the only other thing is the, the location, location, location. A lot of areas are changing. They were at one time safe neighborhoods. Now they're violent criminal neighborhoods. That and vice versa. I mean, years ago when I was growing up, nobody wanted to live in Williamsburg or Red Hook. Now uh, the price of real estate in those communities is so high you can't live there if you're not a millionaire. Right. And in Canarsie, the prices are plummeting because nobody wants to live there. You could talk to, to uh, what's his name, to Curtis, and ask him, what is Canarsie like? You, you better be wearing armor plating if you're going to walk around there. So it all depends. Location, location, location. Also, state, state, state. New York is high. New Jersey is high. Florida is now becoming high. But if you go to Tennessee, Kentucky, one of those places, real estate is a lot cheaper. But the main thing is when when interest rates go up, prices will come down. Do you remember Jimmy Carter? We had the highest level of interest. Right. Well, I, but the, a lot of folks say that the Volcker policy under both Carter and Reagan – that's what allowed us to get out of the inflation of the late 70s and early 80s. So, uh, I mean, you pick your poison. I'm just, you know, I don't want to get into a whole um, Federal Reserve discussion because that's above my pay grade. And, and it's a little boring, to be honest. I'm just talking nuts and bolts, right? If you were advising a friend or young Kenneth here with his budding modeling career or uh, Alex Barnard here with his budding career about – uh, death metal songs regarding uh, mass shootings, what would you tell them? Rent or buy? 800-848-9222. Igor is in Fairfield. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the two things. One, you were talking about basically the, the framework of people buying homes, young people buying homes. And I did want to comment that of the young people that I know in my life, people, coworkers, and as such, they're still handling uh, school loans, and I think that that's something because of the skyrocketing prices of what's happened with tuition. Uh, they have to pay off loans, and effectively, their life moving forward about thinking buying a house doesn't happen until their 30s, which didn't happen in the past. Yeah, well, that's what's, be- that's what's reflected in, these, in this Times uh, article is that because these folks have so much more debt, and it's not just student loan debt, although that's a big part of it, um, but credit card debt, et cetera. Because these folks have so much more debt now than they did years ago, That's all that all plays into it. And to your point, though, about the student loans, I think that makes the case for what Mike Porcelli's been saying on this show, that a lot of people, young people especially, might be better off instead of going to college Pursuing a a trade and going to a trade or a vocational school and not be burdened by decades of trying to pay off debt. No doubt, Frank. And, and you you look at it and you say, you know, I'm an educated person. I had the good fortune of going to a school and pursuing a professional career as an engineer. 
However, when you look at sort of the the buy, the, the investment part of it, you know, you, you, for example, let's say you go to a private institution and you pay, you live there and it's seventy five thousand dollars a year with tuition plus uh, staying there and meals and such. Three hundred thousand dollars in, you know, you come out and if you're going to be a teacher and a teacher is a very noble profession. But how could you make an argument to pay $300,000 up front right. to make $55,000 in the back end? Right. No, that's a great point, Igor. Thank you. 800-848-9222. This is uh, The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We'll continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this show, uh, join our Facebook group uh, that's uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters, and we post the songs and the artists that we play for bumper music each day after the show. Uh, Alex Barnard, are you going to be able to uh, facilitate that today, uh, or is that above? above I'm already taking care of it. Oh boy! Yeah. All right, you're on top. See, of I'm this. not. I'm not so slow as you may think I am, I, Frank. I, uh, well, <laughs> let's uh, let's not. The night uh, is still young. Let, let's, we got three hours to go, but let's not start patting each other on the back just yet. Let's see where we are three hours from now. But uh, but that's that. Now, um, that that Facebook group, it's really meant not only for a means of uh, being informed about what songs are playing. But it's meant for being a platform for, um, you know, discussing what we do on the show. So we have one very nice listener who won a prize on uh, Friday, and she listens in France. And she posted something very innocuous in um, the Facebook group. Basically, you know, I'm coming to New York next month. I was hoping to drop off some uh, some treats for, for Frank and the crew. I don't know, something along those lines. Anybody have any advice on doing that? And I was I'm, – I'm amazed – that she was greeted, this poor woman, with all this negativity. Oh, be careful. You're going to get assaulted. The crime is terrible. Uh, oh, they probably won't eat it. They'll throw it away. Let me assure you, I don't know if you've seen the people that work at the uh, at, at, at our station here on our show. They'll eat anything. We, 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 and I include myself in that category. We'll eat anything. We are uh, exactly what... Um, Bob Grant would have described as Gavones. So uh, I don't understand why people always feel the need. Their first instinct is to immediately be negative on everything. And also the other the other thing I don't understand, as personified by some of the other fa- Facebook groups, is people always feel the need to be partisan on anything. You know, um, what day is it? Oh, well, it's only Thursday because of those crazy left-wingers. Oh, wow. Well. What do you want for breakfast? Well, I wish I could afford some eggs, but uh, those crazy right-wingers have made it so you can't do it. I don't understand why people have to view everything 
through a Democrat or Republican lens. I just don't get it. But if you want to add to the dialogue and help lift up the dialogue, join the Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. I posted on our Facebook page, not in the Facebook group, but on our Facebook page, some photos of uh, Dominic Carter and me at the Tunnel to Towers run, along with uh, my friends Tommy and Monica. I'll talk a little bit about that race a little later and what were some of the highlights and some of the lowlights. Uh, so that's Facebook.com slash Morano Fan. And lastly, I know a lot of you might have heard Dominic Carter's show preceding me. Um, he spent a lot of time talking about this situation in Chicago where I don't know if it was a homeless guy or just a regular guy on the train who was has fallen on hard times, who was assaulted by a miscreant with the bottle. Well, this happened on the red line in Chicago. The 16th and 17th District Chicago Police Scanner Twitter page, they tweeted the video of this. And I watched it, and I wish I hadn't. But it's 90 seconds, and I retweeted it because, not because I think this is something everybody should watch, but I really don't understand. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can watch it if you want. It's on my Twitter, at Frank Morano. I really don't understand how a human being gets to this point where they're so vile and so evil that they would break a bottle over an innocent old guy's face. I just literally do not understand how one human being can do that to another. I can understand violence. You know, um, we get into an argument. You cut me off in traffic. The hormones are raging. Uh, road rage is, is going. I, I can understand, you know, wanting to take that guy out of his car and beat him up. I get it. I can understand, um, you know, uh, hey, you stole from me. And I, I, I got to beat you up. I, I can understand that. I can understand um, my, my wife left me for you. I'm really ticked off. I'm going to hit you with a chair. I'm going to assault you. I can understand violence. I'm not saying it's right, but I can understand the rationale for it. I watched this video of these two uh, delinquents assaulting this man for no reason, driving him to the point where he's bleeding in the middle of the train, breaking a bottle over his head. I cannot understand why someone would do that just to an ordinary average schmo on the train. I I just, it doesn't, what went wrong in that person's life that that's where they are in life? I mean, and I think about this a lot more than I used to being a parent because I don't want my son to be in a position where he ever breaks a bottle over someone's face for no reason. So I'm sure whoever this guy's mother was and father, they didn't think he would be somebody that would break a bottle over a homeless person's face on the train for no reason. How do you get to that point? I just don't get it. So if you want to see the video, you can do so at um, uh, on my Twitter, at Frank Moreno. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Um, because people responded to my question One guy said, oh, it's because they get away with it. Well, that wasn't my question. My question isn't, why does this go on? My question is, why would a person want to do this? What goes on inside a person's soul, inside of his character, that leads him down that sort of a path? I just don't get it. 
All right. Uh, those of you that are holding, we'll get to you. And uh, a lot of fun subjects to cover. It's not going to be all blood and death and violence. Um, although we'll have some of that as well. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far. And uh, we'll, we'll break down a whole bunch of other things that are, uh, that are going on. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. self-preservation reasons, but I'm always interested in stories of media personalities getting fired. One, because they're usually pretty interesting, and two, because I don't want anything like that to happen to me. Well, let me tell you what's going on in Los Angeles. Los Angeles news anchor Mark Mester was fired after calling out KTLA, the TV station out there in L.A., over Lynette Romero's departure. So he's been fired from KTLA after being a couple of days after being suspended for openly calling out his bosses for the way they treated co-host Lynette Romero's, Romero's departure. According to the L.A. Times, KTLA general manager Janine Drafts announced during a meeting in the newsroom that Mester had been fired. The local news anchors page on KTLA now forwards to a page of the news team where Mester is no longer listed either. Last week, Sam Rubin went on air to read a statement from KTLA announcing that longtime news anchor Lynette Romero had left the station. This was the statement. Listen to this. After nearly 24 years, Lynette Romero, our friend Lynette, has decided to move on from anchoring our weekend morning news. KTLA management had hoped she would stay here her entire career, and KTLA worked hard to make that happen. But Lynette has decided to move on to another opportunity elsewhere. Now, I hate this about television and radio. This goes on. In so, so often happens that in radio and television, you rarely, if ever, get a last show, an opportunity to go on the air and say goodbye. Because, I mean, I understand it. They don't want you to go on and trash your bosses and and say all sorts of crazy stuff. I get that. But there have been a few exceptions to that over the years where people have gotten the last show. Sometimes it goes well. Sometimes it doesn't go well. So Romero, Lynette Romero at KTLA, was not able to say goodbye to the viewers. And there was no farewell video package in her honor, which drew the ire of many loyalists. In comes Mark Mester, who had co-anchored the newscast with Lynette Romero, he went on the air to give his friend the proper send-off and wish her the best in her new job opportunity, and he called out KTLA for the way the announcement was handled. Listen to this. This is Mark Mester on KTLA. 
So the truth of the matter is the woman in the set of your screen is our boss. Her name is Janine, and Janine is a terrific woman, and I want to explain why. All we can say about Lynette is that she has an opportunity, and she wanted to take that opportunity. And if someone wants to do that, my goodness, go take that opportunity, and that is exactly what Janine did. In the process of that, an announcement was made on Wednesday. Sam Rubin had to read it. It was unfortunate, and meant, as we mentioned, it was inappropriate, and we are so sorry about that. Lynette deserved to say goodbye. It didn't happen. I don't know who wrote the script. I don't know who handed it to Sam Rubin. Regardless, this was a mistake. We owe you an apology, and we owe Lynette an apology. Now, we can't show this to you this morning, but Lynette, we do have a gift for you. It is flying over our station this morning. There are words. They're from an airplane, and there's a banner that's flying over Hollywood right now. And all we can say to you, Lynette Romero, this morning is that we love you, we miss you, and this is going to be the most difficult thing to move, on, to move this show. I can't, even, I can't even speak right now. We can't even move the show forward without you. I don't know how we're going to do it, but here's the thing. You've taught me everything that I know, and you always talk about two things, dignity and grace. And that is how we're going to say bye to you today. We're going to offer you dignity and grace, which is what this station should have done from the beginning. Now, then he went on to say this. What the viewers experienced was rude. It was cruel. It was inappropriate. And we are so sorry. I also want to say Lynette Romero, because Lynette, I love you so much. You really are my best friend. You did not deserve what happened to you on Wednesday. So he was then suspended from his job duties, and then they made the decision to fire him. For, uh, I have very mixed emotions about this. I'm curious what you think, if this was the right move to fire him or not. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. One, uh, my first reaction is... This guy is carrying on a little too much, a little too much. Do you know who's had to deal with friends, with partners, with coworkers leaving or being fired and not getting a proper send off in the world of broadcasting? Do you know who's had to deal with that? Everybody, everybody. It's when you go on and are able to do your show like a professional that separates people from 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 college kids. This guy is going on and on like a, um, I don't want to say a blubbering idiot, but he's I mean, carrying on a little too much. And I really don't think, and I, I wouldn't do this, there's nothing wrong with saying you're sorry to see your partner go. I've done that. But you do it in a respectful way. You can't go out of your way, as this guy did, to criticize your employer on their station, if you want to put something on Facebook uh, or on Twitter and say, hey, I just want you to know, I made my remarks on television. I'm going to add, I don't think the way KTLA handled this was appropriate. And I just wanted to say so. But um, for him to carry on this way on their station, uh, I have very little sympathy for this guy. There's a lot of news anchors that would love to have a job like the one Mark Mester had. And I I don't think you can go on like that and bash your own station. Unless you're doing unheard of numbers, superhuman numbers, right? If you're doing the kind of numbers that Johnny Carson was doing or uh, on on radio, Rush Limbaugh or Howard Stern, okay, then you say what you want. What are they going to do? But 
I mean, you could get, I hate to put it this way, but you could get almost anybody to do Mark Mester's job. Anybody that's sort of handsome and can read a teleprompter. I think Kenneth put his resume in with now that he's got his new haircut. Although I, I got to say, this this Mark Mester does have a haircut similar to Kenneth. I think they would be able to put in Kenneth without missing a beat. They could call him Kenneth Mester, right? It could be like um, sort of a bewitched situation. Dick York, Dick Sargent, Mark it's, Mester. It's more like the haircut Kenny had. Kenneth Mester. At one point. That's true, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just pre-modeling right. haircut. Yes. Yeah. Um, so tell me what you think of this. 800-848-9222. I think it's a shame the guy was fired. Uh, I feel bad that he lost his partner and his friend. It does seem like the station didn't do right by her. But come on. You, we're professionals. This was supposed to be. Go on the air crying because a coworker got fired? Uh, I don't know. So um, 800-848-9222. So I don't know if this is going to be a situation like the weatherman from, that we told you about who got fired the other day where because of the notoriety of this scandal, he gets more job offers. Maybe he will or he'll get 10, 20,000 new Twitter followers and he'll be able to make a, make a podcast and make all sorts of money. Whatever. I wish the best for him and for Lynette Romero. Before 48 hours ago, I had never heard of either Lynette Romaro or Mark Mester. So I'm I'm conserving my tears where they're more appropriately used, like in Ted Lasso episodes. But um, I feel bad that they're both not working there, but it's just it's a bit much. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Steve in Chelsea. Hello, Steve. Hi. Hello. Yes. Thank you very much for taking my call. Sure. I want to make this quick. Um, I'm a Republican. Everybody in my family is Democrat. I'm pretty much the only person that signed up. Good for you. Way to be uh, independent. To... Yeah, I want to be an independent now. But what I always wanted to know, I did it for a different reason, but what is the difference between what would make a person say, I'm a Democrat, and this is the reason why, or I'm a Republican, and this is the reason why. Well, look, I, I think different people would answer those questions differently. There's all sorts of reasons that people might become Democrats or Republicans. Some um, might do it for practical reasons. Like if you live in a city like New York or uh, New York where the where in 80 percent of the city – the the determinative out the determinative election is the democratic primary maybe you register as a democrat because you feel like if you're not registered as a democrat you have no meaningful voice in the election um look mm-hmm. to, or you might do it for ideological reasons like no party lines up with your views 100% but if you're um if you're someone who say believes in uh, the sanctity of the unborn child, and you're you're pro-life, and you also strongly believe in the right to bear arms, and you believe in a strong military and support for law enforcement, and other than those things, you generally believe that uh, government should be limited and that people should have choice when it comes to where to send their children to schools, and that you also believe taxes are a bit too high and you support lower marginal tax rates, you'd probably be more likely to identify as a Republican. If you're someone, on the other hand, that believes that uh, climate change is an existential threat and you believe that um, 17-year-olds with uh, mental health histories should not be able to buy assault rifles um, and you 
believe that um, you know um, if if you're if you're destitute, you should get a helping hand from the government, and you believe that healthcare is a right rather than um, rather than a luxury. You're probably somebody that's more likely to identify as a Democrat. So uh, I mean, it all depends on. Um, it, it all depends on the individual circumstance. I think a lot of people um, end up joining a political party because it's the party their parents were in, and uh, that's the the household that mm-hmm. they did. That's what I said. I gave you credit. Um, I give you credit for being willing to to kind of step out of the box that you're that you're that you were born into. That you um, are not necessarily just Democrat because your parents were Democrat, and you're willing to you know make up your own mind about different issues. Okay, I think that's it's fair enough. I just thought that maybe you would be able to find a couple of better reasons. Like if a Democrat, if someone that was more on the Democrat side was to give the reason, they would probably tell you a bunch of glorious or great things on the um, the Democrat side, and they would talk to you a bunch of negative things more and very little things about the Republican side. And I just wanted to be like, you know, what would be the real reason that makes – and if there's even really a difference, because I'm sure if you're a Republican, you can still be pro-choice. Sure, absolutely. And Rudy Giuliani is pro-choice. And if you're if you're a Democrat, definitely you do not well, – th- no one checks the pay more tax box on their tax return. Yeah, that's true. You would want – Well, Warren Buffett does apparently. But um, I, um, I never uh, – that's what I said. I, I said I don't think any person – lines up 100% between the uh, behind the ideology or the agenda of any political party. So usually what most people do they you say all right I I'm kind of more this way than that way. This is the party that I'm going to going to join or you do it for practical reasons. I live in a democratic area and you know like for instance um um Bob Novak who was a longtime conservative uh columnist he was he was a registered Democrat until the day he died because he lived, I think, in Washington, D.C., and he wanted to have a say in Democratic primaries. Michael Goodwin, a columnist for The New York Post, one of the most uh, articulate conservative columnists in the entire country, he's a registered Democrat because he lives in Brooklyn, and the only elections that matter in Brooklyn are the Democratic primary. So, I mean, people make decisions about political parties for all sorts of reasons. I think one thing that would really, really, really help the Republican Party is if they were to remind black America that all blacks were pretty much all Republican up until John F. Kennedy, I believe. And if they actually spoke to black people more instead of just the Democrats. Democrats just automatically know they get the vote and they don't do anything for the vote. They need a fight. And the Republicans are not fighting for the black vote. Well, Steve, I I, uh, I tend to agree with with that last part that you said. Uh, but as far as everything else goes, I mean, we could do hours worth of shows just on the subjects that you raised. I prefer to look. I don't mind discussing politics, but there's just so much politics on talk radio. Uh, I feel like, especially during the overnight hours. People need a little bit of a break. Now, I, 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 I'm involved with politics. I'm, I follow politics very closely, certainly very interested in politics. I, I read a lot about politics. I, I've studied politics. That being said, I think people need to learn, especially people that listen to political talk radio, that there's more to life than just politics. And that's one of the things that really 
has bothered me more and more, I'd say over the last 10 years, is people are letting politics define every aspect of their life, where they live, who their friends are, what to think about certain issues, what channels to watch, who to be, um, you know, who to follow on social media, what radio programs to listen to. I want everybody to listen to this show, whether you're Democrat, Republican, communist, libertarian, or if you don't care about politics. So uh, that's, you know, it's part of the reason that I try to keep the political discussion to a minimum. When we do discuss politics, I prefer to just find a way to discuss it um, in a way that nobody else is, right? Uh, take an angle or an issue or an aspect of it that you won't hear anywhere else. Because I, I, I want this show to be unique and different. Uh, what other show is talking about what happened on KTLA today, right? Give me a, give me a, give me a call, 800-848-9222. Now, in addition to this radio show, which thankfully is doing very well, and the podcast is doing very well, is uh, we also do a separate independent podcast completely different from the radio show. That podcast is called The Racket Report, and it has to do with organized crime issues. And if you want to track, track it down, track it down, you can search The Racket Report on any podcast app, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, anywhere, wherever podcasts are available, just search The Racket Report with Frank Moreno. And my guest this week in a podcast that just posted is Peter Lance. Peter Lance is uh, an Emmy-nominated investigative journalist. He's a novelist, a screenwriter, also has a law degree, a brilliant man. And he has spent years covering and writing about the bizarre case of Greg Scarpa and Lynn DeVecchio. Now, if those names don't mean anything to you, then you really need to listen to this podcast. Because what happened with Greg Scarpa and Lindley DeVecchio is the same thing that happened with Whitey Bulger, which is a gangster, very prominent, high-profile gangster. While he was out there on the street killing people, he was working with the federal government, with the government and the FBI. And the FBI let him go out there killing people knowing full well what he was doing. And the FBI handler, who was supposed to be receiving information from Greg Scarpa, there's a lot of belief that that handler, Lynn DeVecchio, actually might have participated in some of these murders. An FBI agent. He actually went on trial for murder. Now, he's free right now. We get into why in this podcast. you got to listen to it. It's called The Racket Report with Frank Moreno. But in order to understand the Scarpa-DeVecchio relationship, you first need to understand who was Greg Scarpa. Who exactly was Greg Scarpa? So Greg Scarpa Sr. was a remarkable man. He was kind of a built like a, a, like a linebacker, uh, 5'10", really kind of a thick build. Uh, and he was an unscrupulous character with a brilliant mind. I think if Greg Scarpa Sr. had gone straight
straight. I mean, if that's if going becoming a corporate tycoon is going straight, he could have been the CEO of a major corporation because what he accomplished over the years while being an absolute criminal, while he actually stopped counting after 50 homicides in the course of his career, most of which were committed while he was a top echelon informant for the FBI. I mean, his story is the Whitey Bulger story on steroids. Well, this is a podcast worth listening to. So you can go to any podcast app, just search The Racket Report with Frank Morano, or uh, you can go to the website, wabcradio.com, click on podcasts, find The Racket Report. This is one that you're going to want to find and send to a friend. So check it out, The Racket Report with Frank Morano. Hey, um, there's a big mystery that has not been solved. We'll get into it straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of midnight. This is uh, Iron Maiden singing two minutes until midnight. Well, there was a, a fascinating article in um, Rolling Stone. I've linked to it on my Facebook page. Uh, it's by um, Jonathan Bernstein and Mark Gray. And I think the article does a good job painting an objective picture on something that a lot of people are wondering about. Something that has happened that happened five years ago. That still has people scratching their heads. It is still one of America's, still one of the world's great unsolved mysteries. The Other Side of Midnight presents What you're about to hear is not a news broadcast. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. This is the Rano Mystery. It's been five years since Stephen Paddock opened fire from his Las Vegas hotel room into a, the crowd attending the Route 91 Harvest Country Music Festival. Paddock killed 58 people, 58 people, and wounded hundreds more. Many of the survivors and victims banded together, often meeting on or around the anniversary of the tragedy to mourn the dead and commemorate their ordeal. Many say they're disappointed in the way the FBI and local law enforcement agencies have investigated the attack. Listen to what I'm about to tell you from this Rolling Stone article. And again, you could read it on Facebook. Of these people, the survivors and the victims, 
Some have not been contacted by the police at all. Can you imagine? I don't get it. I don't get it. We are um, about a week away from the five-year anniversary of this shooting. And I have been blown away at how little we've found out about what motivated Stephen Paddock to kill all these people. Was this really just some lone gunman, some lone wolf? If so, what would drive him to kill 58 people? Was it just as simple as he had some financial difficulty? I really don't think the public has been told a proper story about this. And, you know, I'll I'll be honest, you know what it reminds me of? The mystery of the anthrax attacks. And that's why I was interested to hear Debbie Schlussel on Friday mention the documentary that's out there about those anthrax attacks. Because at first they blamed the wrong guy, and then they pretty much forgot about it. Pretty much forgot about it. This, to me, was nothing short of a domestic terrorist attack. And I think solving this and finding out m- more information than we do when, than we know right now should be a priority for people. It's funny, when, when my wife and I were in Las Vegas um, last year with my sister-in-law, we went to Mandalay Bay to meet, meet a friend. And the first thing I think all three of us thought of is that it was eerie going into Mandalay Bay. For us, it was the first thing we thought of was this shooting that took place at Mandalay Bay. Rolling Stone talks about Wes Perry, who was in his Las Vegas hotel room on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino when this gunman, Stephen Paddock, a few rooms away, smashed his own room's window and opened fire. Fans were gathered across the Vegas Strip at this music festival. Jason Aldean had just started singing his hit, When She Says Baby. The rampage went on for 10 minutes. Injured, not only killing 58 people, but injured more than 850. It's considered the deadliest mass shooting in modern U.S. history. And yet we know very little about it. So Wes Perry is uh, quoted in this Rolling Stone piece as saying, I was near the end of the hallway and he was at the very end of the hallway. I looked out the window and I could see very clearly down at the festival site, which is actually why I loved that room. And it was all dark. I had the same view as the shooter. And so when the gunfire erupted at 10.05 p.m. Pacific time, Wes Perry was startled out of the humming silence of his hotel room where he'd gone to rest and charge his phone after spending Sunday at the music festival. To this day, the Nashville resident, Wes Perry, still needs a white noise machine to fall asleep. Quote, you have to stop and realize how much it's changed you. You may not realize day to day in the moment what it's done to you, but then you look back and say, wow, My life has changed because of that. And yet, five years since the massacre, 
little else has changed when it comes to mass shootings in general and when it comes to an explanation of what happened with Stephen Paddock specifically. A 64-year-old guy who took his own life by the time authorities entered his room was identified, but they never determined a motive. They enacted a ban on bump stocks, which was the device the shooter used to transform his weapons essentially from semi-automatic to automatic um, that was enacted by, you know, by President Trump. But it really didn't do much to curb future mass shootings. And the survivors of this Las Vegas shooting, traumatized like West Perry, struggling to heal, they find it hard to agree on anything Even the official death toll is a source of debate. According to the Las Vegas Police Department, 60 people died as a result of the shooting. That number includes two women who were shot on October 1st but died days after the incident. But to many survivors, the tally of the dead is a non-negotiable 58, a number they've had tattooed on their bodies, wear proudly on T-shirts. It's a number that's come to symbolize, for a lot of them, strength, solidarity and identity and my question for you really is what do you think happened i I refuse to accept no motive as a motive here Uh, that the guy just snapped and started shooting people injured 850 people i can't accept that uh there's got to be some explanation Is the explanation just that there are lone nuts in this world that shoot people? What do you think? 800-848-9222. This issue is not only very contentious and very mysterious, but the whole idea of a Route 91 memorial has been very divisive. There's one memorial, the Las Vegas Community Healing Garden, That's been built by local businesses. It includes 58 trees. And the centerpiece is a tree of life donated by Siegfried and Roy and a remembrance wall. And it exists about six miles north of where the shooting took place. The official memorial, though, is going to be constructed on the northeast corner of the actual festival grounds by the Clark County government. It's still in the planning stages But the working name is the One October Memorial. This has been a real sore subject among survivors who largely refer to the massacre as Route 91. Um, So we'll see what happens. um, But I I find this uh, very disturbing, very perplexing, very perplexing. One more quote from uh, Wayne Perry, given his description of what happened. I'm not a gun person, but I realized this was gunfire. It was something about the rhythm of it. It was definitely automatic because it was brr, brr, brr for 20 or 30 seconds. I thought if this is an automatic weapon, that's bad. So Perry closed his laptop, threw all his belongings behind the bed, and turned off the lights to make it appear as if the room was vacant. So if the shooter entered, he wouldn't think there was anyone in there. Then he crawled into the bathtub and texted his mother and his co-workers. Can you imagine going through that? Jeez. Quote, I remember lying there 
And the gunfire was so loud that it was vibrating the bathtub. And then according to Perry, after what seemed like an eternity, there was enough of a lull in the shooting for Perry to emerge from his hiding place and open the door. And he was greeted by a SWAT team. They screamed for him to drop his wallet and his phone, raise his hands and run towards them where he was frisked and identified as a non-threat. So um, the officer told him, you see the officer at the end of the hall? You run to him as fast as you can. Stay low, and no matter what you hear, don't stop and don't look back. So he did as he was told. Sprinted to the elevator, left the hotel and all his belongings behind. And um, when he finally made it home, the FBI visited him. They asked questions about the shooting, as you might expect. He was told that he was quite possibly the last person to walk down the hallway of Mandalay Bay's 32nd floor before the gunman began firing. But other survivors that Rolling Stone spoke with, like Mary Jo Von Tillo, say that communication with law enforcement in the days that followed the massacre was less than expected. Mary Jo Von Tillo says, I never heard anything from the FBI on what happened. Nobody ever came to me to ask, what did you see? What did you think? Probably the most caring and nurturing place was the coroner's office. Her husband, Kurt, was among the first people shot. Um, she said that someone from the FBI assisted her in obtaining a death certificate for her husband and helped her daughter board a flight without an ID. But otherwise, she and her family were out on their own. Now, maybe the FBI thinks that there's not a lot of value to talking with everybody that was there. Maybe this is why I'm not an FBI agent. I completely disagree. I think they should talk to everybody and interview everybody. Maybe people think that's not a, an appropriate use of FBI resources. Call me crazy, but I think the worst mass shooting in American history, you should you should search high and low, interview every single person that was on the property. Certainly somebody that was the husband of, uh, excuse me, the wife of a victim here. Um, and this goes hand in hand. It's really such an interesting article, but um, it just really is a reminder to me that uh, five years after the shooting, we have no answers on this. 800-848-9222. Be curious what you think. Brian is in plain view. Hello, Brian. Hello. Hello. Going. Great. Uh, I just wanted to point out what you said, basically get no type of information from the government about this, and it just gets swept under the rug. You know, almost like the guy... That uh, basically, you know, shot everyone in the subway and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And he just so happened to drop his keys and had a, you know, a U-Haul truck and, you know, basically his identity. But just to point out that there is a, a beautiful website from a guy that used to work for the State Department as a translator back in the 90s. And it's all fact-based. Or under the Freedom of Information Act, everything he's got. And if you, there's a topic called mind control, and it's the most beautiful thing on how the government has perfected the fact that they could just basically do anything to people. What's the, what's that website? 
It's called wanttoknow.com. All right, I will check it out. Hey, you know what? I know that may sound crazy to some people, Brian. I don't preclude that. You know, uh, I think, um, look, uh, clearly for somebody to do this without any – without any sort of known motive and without the FBI or local law enforcement feeling the need to tell us what uh, the motive was or what they've determined. I think it raises possibilities and questions about everything. But just out of curiosity, Brian, and I will check out this website, but do they delve into this Vegas shooting specifically? I mean, once you get on this website, you'll see why you don't see news news anymore. There's articles on journalists and how they got effed over the last 20 years. And the most beautiful thing you'll see is what's going on with the coronavirus. You will be, there's a whole topic on that. Everything is documented. You'll see a totally different perspective. You, you know, Brian, I just tried to log on. When I, when I go to wanttoknow.com, it says Dragon Squared about projects, rentals, gallery shops. It doesn't look like oh. that. Right. This the, is... other thing is, the other thing is you can't go under Google, oh. Bing, or any of that crap. And you'll see on this website, I usually go from DuckDuckGo. Right, but so if I try to go from an, another browser, I'll be able to get there at wanttoknow.com? Exactly. Okay. Because if you, if you look at that, you'll see with the whole coronavirus and how uh, basically, you Okay, know, well, yeah. I mean, my priority right now is, is finding the website first so that I can see what's on there. But so far, uh, you know. I can't get there through that, brother. All right, we'll we'll keep we'll look into that. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Billy is in the East Village. Hello, Billy. Hello. Um, well, you are talking about the uh, the mass shooter in Las Vegas, right? The ma- is that what you're talking about? The I, mainly. I, I mean, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he was talking. About. Anyhow, but uh, I, I just would like to say that uh, if you check it out, all these mass shootings they all involved people that were on medication modern uh psychotic medication everything from colobine to uh you know every everything or sandy hook whatever it is uh, they're all being treated with these psychotic medications and then they blame them oh they must have not been on their medication that's what they happened no the medication caused them to be crazy and they disconnects them from well, humanity. So let me ask you, uh, Billy, because I've heard this from a number of people, and I, I, I'm open to this as well. But um, mm-hmm. they said that the medication that Stephen Paddock was prescribed and was taking was um, was was uh, Valium or whatever the generic equivalent of Valium was. There's all sorts Valium? of yeah, Valium, oh. Diazepam, uh, which is known by the brand name Valium. There's all sorts of people that that take Valium, right? So why would Valium, which is supposed to reduce anxiety, why uh, – I've never taken Valium, but I've known many people that have. Why would Valium have an effect in calming me down, but in turns this guy uh, – because, because I don't think – I don't think he was – he probably was taking Valium, but he was also probably taking some more modern psychotropic drug. That's well, so say. so based on what we've what we've seen so far, we there's no evidence of of that. I mean, unless unless okay. you know about, something else. You know, I'm really curious about also. I don't know if anyone can research this, but uh, the the crazy murderer who done murdered 19 uh, school children and and, and Houston and two adults. Uh, 
I, I, was there any report to like what medication he might have been uh, on? So I, I don't know, Billy. But see, that's what I'd like to do is I'd like to get some facts and see where the facts lead rather than come up with the, you know, rather than make something up and then look for facts to make to, to back up that that theory. Right. What do we know? Right. What what do the facts suggest? The first thing we know is I don't think the FBI and has done an adequate job in investigating this. Um, and this is not new for the FBI. And again, I played you that clip of my interview with Peter Lance. Peter Lance makes a very compelling case in this podcast that the FBI could have stopped both World Trade Center bombings, both the one in 93 and the one in 2001, but they didn't. And I don't want to reveal what he said, and I don't know that I completely agree with Peter Lance, but it's interesting. It's interesting. And I just hope this is not a case where the FBI is, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, falling down on the job. 800-848-9222. Heaven knows there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of documents at Mar-a-Lago that need to be searched. Pete is in Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hey, good morning, Frank. Very interesting topic. Now, the gentleman before said about mind control. That's what I was calling about. I actually witnessed, when I went to high school, I was ready to drop out. I wasn't interested in school. And I met a teacher called uh, uh, Mr. Joseph P. Adamadeo, and he has passed away since then. Uh, He was into hypnosis. And what he did with the students was he would hypnotize them and teach them, and this stuff would stick in your head. He taught me Ohm's Law, which is something you'd learn probably in your fourth year of college. I didn't go to college. I became a stage hand. And I used to be able to do things with uh, hooking up uh, equipment and stuff that I never learned. But he taught this thing about positive and negatives and everything and, and hooking up instruments. Well, anyway, to cut to the chase, I seen mind control. And basically, he taught me things. And I don't know how to do mind control, but I could negotiate like uh, with an electric company or a gas company, and I usually get what I want out of them, like if I want to break down payments and stuff like that. I'm not saying that I could do it, but I learned from him how to negotiate. But this thing, mind control, that guy in Vegas, we didn't find out nothing about him. Right. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. How did he get all these guns in the building without anybody seeing it? I mean, this is absolutely ludicrous and then the guy before that that they put a horse collar around him with explosives and uh, you know they had him uh, like to negotiate to rob a bank and then they detonated and they blew him up it was actually they blew him up on live tv mm. so things like that i mean the mind control where to get somebody to do these things another thing i witnessed there was uh that thing that was in um Oh, Cuba, where the uh, gentlemen that were in these hotels from America, uh, they came home with this. Uh, right. The Havana syndrome. Down. Yes. We, we've talked yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I had a woman that uh, came to me that worked for my union and nobody believed her. They were trying to get her out of her building and they had electronic stuff up there above her. And they were like scamming the bejeebas out of her that finally she had to move out. And uh, the apartments were rented for higher rent. So this has been going on, and it's 
basically mind control. Yeah, well, thank like you, I Pete, said, Pete. I don't know too much about it, but I hope somebody calls in that knows a lot more than me and could contribute to your wonderful show. Thank you. Pre- appreciate that, Pete. By the way, and I'm not saying this facetiously. It's going to sound like I'm being facetious. If you do know about mind control, I would love some tips on controlling other people's minds. And I, I promise you, I will not use that power for anything negative. It will only be used for good. So if you know, I'm not joking, if you know about controlling people's minds, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Hey, so I want to thank, speaking of email, someone uh, emailed me, uh, Anna, and she found the proper link to the website that that gentleman was trying to describe. It's wanttoknow.info, wanttoknow.info. And there is a whole section on mind control. I got to tell you, there's some interesting stuff on this website. I just looked at it in the last 40 seconds. There's some interesting articles and things and some interesting resources. I'm not endorsing this website, but I am gonna, I'm going to look through this. Maybe we can get some, some ideas for future segments. Those of you that are holding, we'll continue to get to you. If you want to comment on this or anything else we've covered, give me a call, 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Chameleon by Herbie Hancock. Alex, is this one of um, your picks or one of my picks? You didn't send me your picks today. Well, I didn't know that you were sitting in the Matt Blaze chair. Well, should have anticipated that. I I guess so, right? (laughs) Um, I did text you about that, didn't I? Right, but I had already sent the music. uh, Oh, to Blaze. Oh. But, um, and then, you know, I didn't know if this was one of my music recommendations from Is it good? Do you like it? Uh, You know, I don't know. Are there words? No, it's kind of it's you know it's it's kind of a, a jazzy yeah you know yeah I you know I uh, it's, it's fine it's fine I don't mind it I would prefer I like to use instrumentals as like background beds for a mood that I'm trying to create you know play in the back it's not bad though it's not bad it's far from the worst that we fair have. enough eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two Gino is in Brooklyn hello Gino. Hello, sir. I'm glad you're giving justice to this uh, to this story. And unfortunately, I got so much to say. I know I'm going to run out of time, so I have to cherry pick my ideas mm-hmm. here. Um, in terms of the victims of the thing, most of them were injured, running, fleeing, climbing over fences. They were crushed. They were, you know, trampled on by other people. Um, but when you think about 
And, you know, people ask such silly questions related to this, like, how did he get all these guns in? You could see the videotape of him spending a week bringing duffel bags of 30 weapons up to his room all day, right, as well as, well as thousands and thousands of rounds of ammunition that he actually fired, right? So that's all there. There's no mystery there. The mystery, though, is the cover-up, and there is a cover-up here, and it was a lot of it has been cracked by a, a good a lady investigative journalist that always got brushed off. If you remember the daily briefings, or maybe you don't, by the police chief out there. He was trying his best to be transparent about the whole thing and cover it up, holding media uh, interviews every day. But there was very uh, obvious elements of, of obfuscation going on. Um, but for again, to skip over, this guy, I believe, and here's my fringe theory, he was, if you remember, he sent his girlfriend over back home to Indonesia or the Philippines or somewhere in, uh, on the, on the uh, uh, Asia with a million dollars. So he knew things were going bad, mm-hmm. right? And, right? So he was part, in my theory, part of a buy-and-bust gun operation with the ATF. They were on, he was on their payroll for a long time, and he was funneling a large amount of weapons and making large exchanges with these guys, and they were moving in on him. When he realized he was trapped and there was no going back, he lost it and he wigged out. Now, they were paying him just like they were manipulating other mafia people. He was on their payroll for a long time. He had access to a lot of weapons. And when you think about it, thousands of rounds. He fires thousands of rounds into an active concert. He only kills 58 people. Thousands, thousands of rounds with a bump stock. What he was trying to do is not necessarily just kill people. He was trying to blow up the stadium because there's fuel tanks there. Mm. All those rounds went into the fuel tanks that are adjacent to that concert area. They covered that up. They still cover that, number one, for copycats, right? But they covered up that they fueled this. The ATF fueled this, and there was an ATF team in that. They only make small notice of this. There was an ATF team that was present in that hotel for those days conducting a quote-unquote operation there, right? It's just too coincidental. But he was trying to ignite that whole place, and nobody has ever admitted that. But there is tons of shrapnel in the outer shells of those fuel tanks out there. Um, what is the – and I think this is fascinating, and uh, especially in the context of talking about Greg Scarpa and Whitey Bulger and their relationship with the FBI. It's so interesting to think about possibly Stephen Paddock could have been working with the ATF. But what do you base the the theory that he was working with the ATF on exactly? I base it on the fact that he was transporting – Tons duffel bags full of mm-hmm. high-powered and low-powered ammunitions up in the room. Nobody goes – and he was a degenerate gambler. You know that. So right. he, he, there was a reason for him to do what he was doing. He was a degenerate gambler. This guy gambled a million dollars a week. So he was really stuck for money as well as being on the payroll. So he had two things. So he was transporting. He was – nobody – even if you planned on doing all that, all you need is one gun and a couple of you know uh, duffel bags of ammunition. You don't need 30 weapons up there for that. And what normal person would carry 30 weapons into the room? You don't need it to, for that objective if that's what you want to do. You shoot out the window, you do what you need to do, and, and that's – so he was trying to sell these weapons, and he was being paid for months and months of, of on the payroll for the ATF. They were there to do a transaction. He got a bad vibe, and he lost his mind. Wow. Hey, hey uh, Gino, thank you. That, that is really interesting and really compelling. And I know we're uh, we're going to get you in studio this week, uh, so uh, maybe we could chat about this a bit more. Um, that really, really interesting. Wow. All right. Hey, we're going to do commendations in just a minute. 
800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Until next hour, always remember, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We're going to do the commendation portion of our show in just a minute, but there's a few people who have been very patiently holding. It doesn't seem right to perpetually keep them on hold and not take their call. So let me uh, go ahead and uh, say hello to Noel in Brooklyn. Hello, Noel. Hi. Uh, good morning, Frank. Morning. I, uh, I've spoken to you in the past. I was the one who used to work at uh, WABC back at Five Penn Plaza days. Two Penn. Uh, two pen, all right. Well, that's why. That's why I guess that's I'm what, not working. Yeah, any, right. You kept going anymore. to five pen. You kept going to the wrong building. They threw you yeah, right actually, out of there. Actually, you know, five pen. I did used to work. That used to be the CNN headquarters. Oh, um, okay. Do Do you remember that? I I don't actually. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, actually, I do. The, you know was... why? You know why I do? Because they used to have press parking on. Eighth Avenue, because CNN was there, and so when I had right. press a press placard, I would park over there. So I actually right. do remember that. Yes, right, 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 right. Yeah, they used to be on the very top floor before they moved to where the uh, Coliseum used to be. Now, now that's where they are. But anyway, speaking about uh, television, I'm going to speak about KTLA, and obviously from working in the in the broadcast business like yourself. Um, you got to be thankful for what you got. And the guy that made that comment, you you know, just like in the military, you do what you're told. You know, I mean, people come and people go and you just have to understand that you have a privilege and a right. And a, and, and I'm not trying to sound like uh, like the 1940s version of Superman, but I'm saying that you have a, a honor to you know that you're in that business because there's a lot of people that want to be in it. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. It, you, is it Noel, Noel or Noel? Noel, Noel. Noel. I, you're exactly right. And I remember, um, you know, you know, another talk show host I was listening to about 20 years ago made yeah. the point that there are a lot of people that can do this job yeah. exactly as well as I am. And that's the way I feel. I, I feel right. the fact that I get to do this when there's probably a thousand other people that can do yes. maybe 10,000 other people that can do this show Correct. as well or better than I am. I mean, you really have to count your lucky stars and not go out of your way to insult your employer like yes. this. I completely and agree to, with you. And to do what you're told. I mean, and lastly, do you remember the, I believe he's passed on, Willard Scott. you remember him? Yes, I, I knew him a little bit, but yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. He was the, he was the first um, Ronald McDonald, I believe, right? Uh, he was not the first, but he was an early Ronald McDonald. That is true. Yes. Okay. Anyway, when I said that, if everybody remembers when... Um, he was on eight, uh, he was on NBC and he did the the weather. Mm-hmm. He was not a meteorologist, but what he did say, and I always remember him saying this, he was always thankful for for the men and women who are listening to us right now. 
when the camera comes on, generally there is a red light on top of it, and that's you know which camera you, you're supposed to face. And he said he was thankful every time that red light came on. And that's the way I believe you should look at at broadcasts or any other job that you're thankful to have it. Yeah, you know? I, I agree with you uh, completely, and I think that's a, a great philosophy. And thank, thank you, uh, Noel. And you know who actually – I don't hear him say this as much anymore, but you know who used to say that all the time? Curtis Lewa. He used to say when he was on the radio at any station – he would say, look, you have to understand this is not your microphone. It's management's microphone. It's the ownership of the station's microphone. And they lend you the microphone for three hours, four hours, five hours. And then they take it back at the end of those three, four or five hours. And they can just take it back permanently whenever they want. And you have to recognize that that may happen. Right? I mean, you don't go into a business like this for job security. And uh, that's what makes the remarks, and I agree with everything Noel said, I, rem- makes the remarks from Mark Master at uh, KTLA even more confounding. It's very peculiar. 800-848-9222, commendations in a moment, but let me say hello first to Harry on Long Island. Hello, Harry. Uh, Larry, that is. Sorry? L-A-R-Y. Larry, okay, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. You got Kenneth. Uh, as far as that. As far as the Las Vegas situation, I really, the whole town is run by money. Sorry? The whole, whole town of Las Vegas is money. Mm-hmm. And if you make this an ongoing story about the, 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 the slaughter of all those people, you're going to discourage the visitors to the, to, the, to the tables. And I really think the people at the top that put the lid on this and say, we don't want to talk about it too much because big deal. It's already a done deal. The man is dead. And the more we talk about it, the more people we lose as visitors. Well, that's an interesting theory. That is an interesting theory, Larry. And I don't think it's the craziest thing that I've, I've ever heard. But well, uh, ju- just, to, um, just to go down the logical conclusion of the path that you're suggesting. Yeah. So I guess you think it would be local Las Vegas officials and local local so, Nevada officials that are kind of saying, let's not make this such I'm, a big I'm issue. Thinking, I'm thinking much higher level of that. The now, people who run the show there are more than just those officials. Why, the the business. why then, on top. Why, then why then, Larry, would yeah. that same standard not apply to something like the World Trade Center attack in New York City, which is also a city that's heavily dependent on tourism. Well, because this is too much uh, media in New York, it's not going to be quiet about it. Yeah. So I, I don't think the same media power is in Las Vegas. Okay. All right. Well, look, it's... It, 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 it's all right. By the way, one, one, last, sure. one last little comment. I think we should change the American flag. I'm 78 years old. I've been in the my background like for so many years. I'm not dumb, but I really believe we take the flag and replace it with a dollar sign. That's our symbol. This whole place works 
and where the money is. Well, look, uh, Larry, I think uh, there's a lot of people that uh, would agree with you that uh, capitalism is the underpinning of everything that goes on in society, uh, politics, yeah. economics, business, everything. That being said, I, I don't want to do that. I, I get what you're trying to do in terms of adding a little more transparency and making people aware of the role that money plays in their lives. I get that. I understand that. Um, that's one of the reasons I'd love to see politicians wear, look like NASCAR drivers. When a politician is heavily supported by a company or an industry, I'd love to see him every time he gives a speech or she gives a speech, they have to wear a sticker from um, DuPont or Exxon or the trial lawyers or the teachers union. And I want to know exactly who they're getting money from, even if it means they look like a NASCAR driver. That being said, I like the American flag. I don't think we should, I don't think we should do it. If, if we want to talk and have a serious conversation about reducing the role of money as a corrupt, corrupting influence in America, I'm all for having that discussion. But I don't think we should change the American flag. Uh, and I don't think you do either. I think you're saying it more to be provocative. I get, and I get that. I'm a, I'm a provocateur myself, right? So uh, we welcome that kind of discussion. Good call, Larry. Thank you. Even if we did call you Harry, which we apologize for. 800-848-9222. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I want to uh, give a commendation to all 32,000-plus People that participated in yesterday's Tunnel to Tower run and in everybody that uh, made a donation to the Tunnel to Towers race, whether it was to me or to anybody else. As far as I'm concerned, this is an organization that does God's work. And uh, I'm thrilled that uh, that we're partnering with it. And it was great to be out there. And I want to give a special commendation to Dominic Carter, who raised more money than all of the other WABC hosts. Aside from me, he raised more money from all the hosts on the network combined. Combined. So uh, an incredible job by Dominic Carter. And uh, it was uh, great to see him <clears throat> and spend time with him at the uh, at the race. If you still want to make a donation, you could do so. Go to walk.othersideofmidnightshow.com. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the race uh, in just a minute. It was great being out there with my friends, um, Monica Lantry and Tommy Barlotta. I put some photos up on Facebook if you want to see. Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. And Dominic, I think, tweeted some photos as well. You can find him on Twitter. Uh, I also want, want to commend acquaintances. Yes, I said acquaintances, not friends. You know why? Because a new study shows that acquaintances are more helpful in landing you a job than close friends. Loose acquaintances, more so than friends, are pivotal in helping you land a job. A study published this month by LinkedIn's engineers. Now, how researchers reach this conclusion is just as interesting as the finding itself. Turns out many of us who went on LinkedIn, not me, but the people in society, when I use the term us, many of us who went in LinkedIn in recent years were unwitting guinea pigs in a massive social experiment. From 2015 to 2019, LinkedIn's engineers tweaked the algorithm for its people you may know recommendation feature. 
And they varied the level of close friends and weaker contacts that it was showing to users. In all, more than 20 million users were subject to the test, which the researchers leveraged for their study. The scale of the experiment and the fact that LinkedIn's testing could have impacted the long-term trajectory of its users' careers have sparked a big debate over transparency. The lead author of this study, an MIT professor, defended the LinkedIn test by saying the company is simply trying to figure out a more useful algorithm for its customers. The big picture is this. The theory of weak ties being beneficial has been around since 1973, but only with fertile data from LinkedIn were researchers able to find causal evidence that we should probably take networking a little more seriously. I completely agree with this. And anecdotally, that's my own observation, is that it's always the acquaintances that come through for you. And I've seen this with friends. I've seen this with uh, family members of mine and friends of mine. You know, they, they they benefit from the acquaintances. I must give a wholehearted commendation to Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols is now the fourth player in history to join the 700 home run club. Do you know how incredible that is? To hit 700 home runs in a major league career? Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Barry Bonds. And interestingly enough, the fan who caught, we were it's so funny that we were having this conversation on Friday. The fan who caught Albert Pujols' 700th home run ball is not giving it to him. He's not donating it. Um, he is, I don't know if he's going to sell it or just keep it. And you know what Albert Pujols said? That's fine. He said uh, he doesn't focus on material stuff. This is what he said, and I thought this was such a healthy attitude. Um, souvenirs are for the fans. I don't have any problem if they want to keep it. If they want to give it back, that's great. I think that's a very healthy attitude. I want to give a commendation. Speaking of the world of sports, this is very serious, and this is an issue that I've been following for a long time and talking about for a long time. I want to give a commendation to Mike Greer. Do you know who Mike Greer is? Mike Greer is the general manager of the San Jose Sharks. And he has said that the Sharks won't be in the Czech Republic for the Prague games, for the global series games next month, if Russian-born players on the team are denied entry into the country. Because that's what the Czech Republic is trying to do. In this bizarre policy, which does nothing and makes no sense, the NHL was told by the Czech foreign ministry that Russian-born players are not wanted in that country for the games on October 7th and 8th because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So what Mike Greer is saying is no. If you don't want the Russians, you don't get any of us. I think this is exactly what a leader of a team should be doing. And I'm glad Mike Greer is doing it. I wish everybody would take this attitude. I want to commend the Jewish people. You are God's chosen people. My wife and my son, while they're not practicing Jews, they are technically Jewish. The Jews consider them Jewish. 
And uh, Sunday was the start of Rosh Hashanah, also known as the Jewish New Year. A lot of you were partying hardy, drinking Manischewitz, celebrating the drop of the giant matzah ball. And this marks the beginning of the Jewish High Holy Days. This is a um, holiday that's been celebrated for a couple of thousand years. And a lot of people celebrate by blowing the traditional horn or the chauffeur. And uh, that goes to show you why chauffeur is such a great job. The holiday has been celebrated for a long time. And this is uh, supposedly, uh, my understanding of what Rosh Hashanah is is very limited. But as I understand it, it's a time to reflect on the coming year. And it's a time to celebrate by eating sweets. And uh, it's a nice, nice festive day for everybody. So if you are one of the 14.8 million Jewish people around the world, Shona Tova. I want to commend NYU Langone Hospital. NYU Langone Health was crowned the top spot for patient care out of more than 100 academic medical centers across the country. This was um, this earned an accolade from uh, Vizient Inc., and uh, they were given the Bernard Birnbaum Quality Leadership Award for top-notch patient care and also earned the Ambulatory Quality and Accountability Award for its superior outpatient health. This has been my experience. My mom goes to NYU Langone. She's had some serious health issues there, and she's uh, gone there for eye issues. And um, I've been very impressed with the patient care at NYU Langone, not only with my mom, but in other friends of mine that have gone there as patients. So uh, I say, good for you, NYU Langone. I am pleased but not surprised that you are the recipient of this distinction. I want to commend four good Samaritans in Ohio who swooped in and helped a police officer who was being attacked by a man during a traffic stop. See, this fellow was pulled over for speeding by Officer Stacy Wright in suburban Cleveland. The suspect was going 57 miles per hour in a 35 miles per hour zone. And uh, the officer, Stacy Wright, is heard telling him in the dash cam footage how fast he was going and stuff. And the shocking video, you could see this online, it shows the suspect ignoring the officer's request for his license as he exits his Chevy Malibu and he insists that he needs to go to the back of the car to get his driver's license. And the officer demands that this guy sit on the curb. However, he yells, I'm not sitting. I'm not sitting. After the suspect declines multiple orders from Officer Wright to put his hands behind his back or on the vehicle, a physical struggle ensued. He appears to overtake Officer Wright in the struggle until four perfect strangers appear to aid Officer Wright and subdue the suspect. On video, you see one person yelling at the suspect. You don't do that to a woman, do you understand me? So the Good Samaritans stay until a backup officer arrives who aids uh, Stacy Wright in taking this fella into custody. So this fella has been uh, charged with assault on an officer resisting arrest, speeding, and failure to wear a seatbelt. 
at the very least, you'd think he could have worn a seatbelt. The uh, Willoughby police chief, Jim Schultz, wrote a personal note to the four Good Samaritans, thanking them for their quick intervention. And now I am also adding the um, commendation, formal commendation to this. I want to commend Charlotte Sandal. At age 100, yes, you heard me correctly. At age 100, Charlotte Sandal is breaking swimming records. She did not start swimming until 1994 at the age of 72. She is a World War II veteran. And uh, in 1994, she had just retired from her job when a friend convinced her to sign up for a freestyle swim event. And now she is killing it. She is absolutely killing it. She's now competed in more than 400 Masters swim races. She holds five individual Masters world records ratified by the International Swimming Federation. She also has 300 individual U.S. Masters uh, swimming top tens, which means she placed among the top ten in her sex and age group in an event over a whole season. And now she's training for the Huntsman World Senior Games in Utah. I think this is outstanding. I think this is inspiring for all of us that want to pick up challenges later in life. You know, they always say if you wait past a certain age, it's too late for you to really become an expert in this or an expert in that. Um, I think this is really inspirational, certainly to me. And uh, I, I say more power to you, Charlotte Sandal. I hope you break every swimming record there is. I want to give a posthumous commendation to Louise Fletcher, who has passed away at the age of 88. The Academy Award-winning actress known best for her role as Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest passed away in um, southern France at the age of 88. Um, she was incredible in that role and really made that film. I mean, Jack Nicholson is great. All the cast is great. But um, there's nobody like Nurse Ratchet. And then later, she did a lot of other great roles as well. But I think that um, one, of the, one of the things that she doesn't get enough credit for is her role um, on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. She was terrific on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. She played several characters on there as well. So, Louise Fletcher, we give you a posthumous commendation. And then finally, this is a little silly, but how could I not at least mention this? I must give a commendation to the borough of Staten Island. According to Cam Soda, the adult entertainment company behind a newly launched Penis Review website. Staten Island has the highest ratings for uh, a penis that um, you'll find in any of New York City. And I am very proud to be from Staten Island. I will tell you, I don't think they spoke to anybody uh, that I've ever been with for this survey. Um, I love the quote in the New York Post from minority leader and frequent listener to this program, Joe Borelli, who said, every time I walk into City Hall, someone calls me a big D word. Now it finally makes sense.
<laughs> uh, brilliant. Brilliant by Joe Borelli. All right. That is this week's edition of Commendations. If there's anybody uh, if, that I've commended that you want to comment on, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Love walked right in and drove the shadows away. Love walked right in and brought my sunniest day. One magic moment and my heart seemed to know that love said hello. Though not a word was spoken, one look, and I forgot the gloom of the past. One look, and I had found my future at last. One look, and I had found a world completely new. When love walked in with you. When love walked in. Frank Sinatra. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. So an interesting thing happened on Friday. So um, my wife and I were both home. We didn't have anything Friday. And uh, we did something that the two of us have not done together in quite some time. No, it's not that. Because obviously... You know, we're not going to wait too long. You see the high-ranking Staten Island's getting in that category. No. We watched a motion picture. And um, the way, you know, I let my wife pick, but she picks from a list of options that I gave her for things that are in my Netflix queue or elsewhere. So anyway, the film that she selected was, well, this is the this is the trailer for it. What are you working on? It's a computer terminal that hooks up to the TV for the display. Uh, Steve? Wow. These are state of the art. Nobody's making anything like this. All right. Okay. Welcome to Apple Computer. Is this everything? Startup. I think we should start with around 90 grand. Uh, could you repeat that? If you'll have me aboard. Trust me, on my I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. Apple Incorporated went public this morning. Since I was 14. We gotta make the small things unforgettable. Typeface isn't a pressing issue. Get out. He's trying to start a war with IBM. Steve's been doing the impossible ever since it was in a garage. I'm trying to build an apple, and they're taking it away from me? If you keep heading down this path, I will not protect you. It's a blatant ripoff. I'm going to sue you for every cent. You are your own worst enemy. The board is unanimous. Steve will no longer be involved in this company. Ten years after Steve Jobs' departure, the future of Apple Computer is in jeopardy. 
in life, you only get to do so many things. We're gonna make Apple cool again. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. If we're gonna do this thing, we need to come up with a name. Apple. That is so much better than phaser beam computers. <laughs> uh, as you probably have ascertained, that is the trailer to the motion picture Jobs, which, of course, is about Steve Jobs. Now, that film is from 2013. Now, why was that in my queue? One, I I wanted to see it at the time, even though it was panned by critics and didn't really make much money. This stars Ashton Kutcher as uh, Steve Jobs. But uh, the, the other reason I wanted to see it is because I saw a few years ago the other Steve Jobs movie. That's called Steve Jobs. So... Very creative titling here. We have Jobs, which is what I just saw, and then we have Steve Jobs, which I saw a few years ago. And then also a few years ago, I saw another, it was a made-for-TV film where Steve Jobs is played by Noah Wiley. That was called Pirates of Silicon Valley, which was pretty good. So I've now seen three different, over the course of years, three different Steve Jobs films. I thought this was okay. Not not great. I, I thought, you know, the highlight of this film was actually Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher, who's known for dating Demi Moore and uh, that 70s show. And I think he dates Myla Kunis now, who was his uh, co-star on that show. But uh, he's very known. For, he's one of these guys that's very well known for dating famous pretty women. He's terrific in the role of Steve Jobs. I think this might be the best role I've ever seen him in. Um, I thought the other film, Steve Jobs, not Jobs, where Michael Fassbender plays uh, Steve Jobs, that's the Aaron uh, Sorkin film. I thought that was a little better. Both of these films came out after Steve Jobs died, and both of them, I think, were sort of uh, trying to tap into the Steve Jobs mania. I I didn't think, uh, I don't think either of them did relatively, I don't think either of them did extraordinarily well at the box office. Both of them, I thought, were just okay. The Michael Fassbender film, Steve Jobs, is a little bit better, in my view. The problem with this picture, Jobs, aside from the historical inaccuracies, which, unlike Debbie Schlossel, I don't go crazy with. The problem is, I think it just tries to do too much. There's so many different aspects of Steve Jobs' life, and this tries to touch upon everything. His college time, his launching of Apple, his uh, getting fired from Apple, his uh, bringing, coming back to Apple. It's, just, it's too much. And, you know, this was almost my problem with the Gotti film. The Gotti film, um, that's one of the many problems. With it. It just, it's all over the place. It just does too much. So it doesn't spend really enough time digging into any, anything. Pirates of Silicon Valley, which... Even that this is the that's the only one of the films that I just mentioned that Steve Jobs himself had seen. And he didn't like it, didn't like the story, didn't like the film particularly much. What he did like was Noah Wiley's portrayal of him. He thought he played him really well. But what I would just say is that um, what that film did well, Pirates of Silicon Valley, is it deals with just one chapter in Steve Jobs life. 
Um, so I thought that was that was good. You know, for a complex figure like that, you gotta gotta pick your spots. Um, but so I thought it was okay. What my wife and I are absolutely loving is Ted Lasso. We watched another couple episodes over the weekend, and we both love this show. We're almost done with season one. There are two seasons, ten episodes each, and uh, we're almost done with season one. Maybe tonight we'll uh, we'll watch season ten. And you know what it is? This show is very well written, and it's very funny, starring um, Jason Sudeikis, who's great, but the whole cast is great. And honestly, it's not just funny, but it really tugs on every human emotion. Laughter, sadness, uh, pride, uh, jealousy. It's really well done. I have now found myself literally in tears at two separate episodes. I was crying in two separate episodes uh, for vastly different reasons. The le- in one of the other episodes... I I don't I didn't see it in the second one. I don't want to tell you which one. But in one of the episodes, I look over at my wife. She's crying. You know, a silly comedy show brings us to tears like this. I mean, I really I think it's uh, extraordinarily well done. Uh, so if uh, you haven't seen Ted Lasso yet, I I do really recommend it. Really recommend it, especially if you happen to be a soccer fan. I know Brian Kilmeade's a soccer fan. I'm curious. I don't know if he has uh, he's seen this at all, but I'll ask him when we chat with him. On Thursday, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. David is in the Bronx. David, what's on your mind? Hey, good evening or good morning. Oh. Um, first of all, regarding um, Louise Fletcher, she only played one character on Deep Space Nine. Well, she was Kyle Parker, right? Well, no, no, that was a different no. uh, actress who's also dead, by the way. Um, no, no, she wasn't Kyle Parker. That was somebody else uh, whose name I can't remember right now, and she did die in the past couple of years. Right. No, I, um, I I thought um so I know she pla- she played um oh, she played the uh, like Kai Wynn. That's not Opaka. Kai Wynn, right? right? Yeah, Kai Wynn. But exactly. I thought she, she played somebody else also. No, not on Deep Space Nine. No, Army. okay. All right, I stand corrected. But she's been in a lot of science fiction stuff. I mean, she was in that Invaders from Mars remake which was terrible. Right, right, right. And right. No, I no, think no, I absolutely. mentioned to you in my email. She was in um oh, that actress that drowned. Um, Natalie Woods. She was in Natalie Woods' last movie. Um, but anyway, the reason I called um, is Frank. Yeah, no, I'm listening to you. But oh, oh sorry, I, but I, 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 I just click. No, no, it's okay. I also, um, I, I think she played Kai Wynn, uh, but I think she all. Well, maybe it was just that character. I, for some reason, I thought she played more than one character. But I, I'll defer to no, your I, expertise. I've literally seen every episode of Deep Space Nine multiple times. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, David, you, you have told show. us that you're blind. Should, maybe your yeah, judgment I is I wasn't always not the best blind. Here. I had vision up until eight years ago. Oh, all right. Okay, we'll count, yeah. we'll count that then. Okay, but um, the reason I called was about this conspiracy stuff that I've been listening to uh, for a lot of the evening about this shooting in Las Vegas. And this goes to conspiracy theories in general. I think what it really comes down to is people can't get into their heads why someone that appears normal would do something like this. So they come up with all kinds of convoluted reasons and conspiracy theories. But I I think in this case, the guy, I believe, was a, a gambler, something that you have in common. 
and he owed a lot of money, and he had a girlfriend, like the guy said, in the Philippines who he gave a lot of money to, who was very evasive about his reasoning. But I think the guy just snapped. He clearly planned this for a long time, but because he killed himself, we'll never know what his reason was. And this is why I'm glad that we have apprehended a lot of these mass murderers recently because if they kill themselves or they're killed by the police, a lot of times we don't know what their motives are. Right. And then these theories come up. Yeah, that's a good so, point. Yeah, because I think that's what it really is. I think it's just inexplicable and people can't explain it. Oh, no, I, I think you're right. And uh, look, I count myself as one that um, that is uh, looking for any kind of an explanation for why somebody would snap like this to kill all these people. Let me ask you this, David. Um, so it sounds like yeah. you, you don't put a lot of stock into the say the ATF theory that Gino brought up or the uh, drug-induced psychosis theory that one of the other callers mentioned, you just think that he snapped because of maybe financial pressures or something like that? Yeah, I think that's what it boils down to. I mean, there's been cases like this. You know, there was that guy that killed his entire family decades ago. Uh, A lot of times people just can't handle the fact that they ruined their reputations or they won't have any money, and they just go crazy. I mean... I don't understand well, it. Uh, no, I un, un, understanding everything that you just said, would you agree that the FBI has not done the best job handling this investigation and at the very least they should talk with all the victims? Well, see, that's where I disagree with you because okay. I, I heard you say that, and I'm like, what is he talking about? What's the point of interviewing okay. people that were just – out there when the shooting happened, they don't know anything that's relevant. I mean, that would be like interviewing every single person who witnessed 9-11, even people who watched it on TV. I mean, you're not going to get, you're going to get a lot of information that's useless. And I think the point of an investigation, and I believe this was just handled by the Las Vegas office, they only have a limited number of investigators and a limited number uh, amount of time. All right. Well, yeah, I hear you there. Maybe we'll, um, I I think we'll agree to disagree on that. Maybe we'll revisit this when we see you in studio uh, this week as a uh, other side of Governor's Island winner. I'll be in touch with you via email on that. All right, David? All right. All right. Thanks. 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah. Hiya, Frank. I'd like to say for the new arrivals of the city, uh, the city should take uh, areas and put up big box buildings or prefab buildings to house a lot of people. Uh, the, uh, there was a box building in the Bronx that used to ha- uh, house a uh, pharmacy. like, uh, And uh, what happened was the snow came down and it, it the roof finally caved in after years. But that could be eliminated by putting a uh, p- putting a, a big uh, round top on it, a uh, which the uh, which would help a lot. It won't it won't collapse. But big box buildings and prefab buildings are the way to go, because these tents. I saw one of those tents down near the Bronx courthouse. That's <clears throat> far away from it and I was looking at it I was amazed it's a monster tent but they're putting them up in um, uh, to house the homeless they <clears throat> the tent they're putting up in uh, Orchard Beach <clears throat> I don't think is uh, 
it's not smart if they're going to keep these people through the winter because the winters could get bad there. The snow piles up around Orchard Beach. So I I don't see uh, I don't see the logic in it. All right, Tom. All right, thank you. Uh, Tom doesn't see the logic. Mayor Adams, you're probably coming home from Casa Cipriani or Zero Bond or one of your private clubs right now. Maybe you've got us on. Honored that you're listening. If that's the case, you heard from Tom from the Bronx. Better make some changes. All right, this is The Other Side of Midnight. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, Tunnel to Towers race in just a moment. If you want to comment on anything we're talking about, you can give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Steady as she goes. This is, uh, I believe, an Alex Barnard selection. This is pretty good. I've never heard this, I don't think. It's it's pretty good. You want to know what kind of music we're playing? Just join the uh, Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters, and we'll post the songs there after the show. All right. Uh, Lots to get to. Hey, I spent my Sunday participating in the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers 5K walks last run. I walked for almost the entire thing. If you're not familiar with this, this is a really wonderful organization it's, that helps a lot of people. And uh, they build homes for disabled veterans. There's a, uh, there's a veteran, Brendan Morocco, with no limbs that has a special smart house that he's able to live in because of the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. They uh, help servicemen that are killed in the line of duty and their families. They help the families of police officers who were killed in the line of duties, in the line of duty. They helped uh, during Hurricane Sandy 10 years ago. They did a yeoman's job uh, helping people who had lost their homes. And they're just an incredible organization. I can't say enough good things about them. Um, and I was proud to participate in the walk. So the, at, on our network, Red Apple Audio Networks, They were partnering with us, and they kind of do this fun thing where a bunch of the hosts try to raise money and to see who can can raise the most money. And it it all goes to the same place. It's just kind of an internal fun thing. This year I finished second to my colleague, Dominic Carter. So I leave here Friday morning, Friday morning, and the station signed me up, and I – okay – that's the way it is. So they were given my shirt and my what they call the bib, which is the number that the runners wear. 
And um, last year, they gave it to me a couple days before, which makes sense. This year, they didn't. So I figured, all right, they'll give it to me at the race. One of the people that are involved with this, maybe you'll bring it. Okay. So I get an email Friday afternoon. Now, I leave here Friday morning. So I get an email Friday afternoon that says, oh, well, you know, your bib and your shirt is waiting for you in the studio. What? I'm not coming back to the radio station between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning, and I can't really go there Sunday morning because it's just such – it's so difficult to travel to this thing. It's a great event, but it's a – so I I, uh, I said, well, can you give it to this person? Can you give it to that person? Answer, no. Can't give it to anybody else. So – I said, all right, I guess I won't have a shirt this year. I'll wear my own shirt. And it just so happens, two friends of mine, my friend Tommy Barlotta, who's called into this program occasionally, great guy, helped me move when I moved from, when I moved in with my then domestic partner, now wife, helped me move all my furniture, in spite of the fact that he works these crazy hours. So usually when you work these crazy hours, what you want to do during the day is sleep. Instead, he chooses to help people like me. So, um, and Tommy happens to be dating my friend Monica Lantry, who was my friend long, long before she was dating Tommy. But they're they're coupled, and um, they both reached out to me on uh, I think Friday, Thursday or Friday, and said, "Hey, we want to do the walk. We want to be part of Team Morano. Great!" I send send them the website walk dot dot com. Join the team. They register. Great. And now I don't have a shirt still. As of Saturday going into Sunday. So I do have the shirts that we're making for my team for the fourth that we made for my team for the forthcoming psoriasis walk. And we call our team for the psoriasis walk the Frankfurters. So I said, all right, well, I have a couple extra shirts here. I'll give one to Tommy, one to Monica. We'll just be the Frankfurters for the Tunnel to Towers walk as well. And um, so that's what we did. We got shirts, gave them to them. We all we took, we Ubered to the start of the race because it's very difficult to get to. It's a wonderful race, but there's 32,000 people and all the streets are closed. So we Ubered there and then we, our plan was to take the bus back. So we get there. And first thing I do is I go over to registration. And I said, oh, you know, I don't have my number. Can you help me out here? And give me a new number. No, we can't do can't do it. I said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean you can't do it? I I said, well, you know, they, they said no. Somebody took your number. I said, well, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm here to participate in the walk, and I raised a lot of money. I showed them my picture on the website. I'd like to participate, and they said, all right, all right, we'll reissue you a new number. But they were not at all happy about it. And oh, before I said, well, do I have to have a number? Can I can I walk without a number? Absolutely not. They won't even let you in. You won't even be able to participate at all. And I said, oh, okay. Well, what can we do? And they agreed eventually, reluctantly, to issue me a new new number. So then my friend Monica goes, gives her name. Her name's Monica Lantry. They look this up. Nothing. Now, Monica's feverishly trying to look for her old emails and stuff like that. And she finds, I guess she was in a rush and she made a typo, that she registered under the name Monica Langry instead of Monica Lantry. 
So they found her under Monica Langry. They gave her her number. They gave Tommy his number. And we meet up with, with Dominic Carter, who was there, and we start walking to the beginning of the, the thing. And I was trying to find brother, brother Greg, who's a Franciscan brother, who listens to this show, writes to me often, and he was at the walk. And I, again, when there's 32,000 people, you can't really find anybody. I couldn't find him. A lot of great folks came, a lot of great listeners. And um, obviously Rudy Giuliani is a big part of this. Joe Piscopo is a big part of this. It was really just so much fun. And um, one of the interesting things, when you're first walking to the starting line, it's a big walk to the starting line. There's this church, Visitation Church in Brooklyn. And they had little shots of espresso that they were giving out to the would-be walkers and runners. And also, and right around this time, right around this time, that morning, I'm up at 6.30 in the morning, and uh, Rachel says, you know, honey, I know you're probably not hungry, but you should eat something, because you're going to be hungry later and not going to get to eat for a while. I said, no, I'm still full from yesterday. I'm really not hungry. I'll be okay. I'm sure they'll have something I can grab. And sure enough, she was right, because by 9 o'clock, I was starving, starving. So... um, this church is not only giving out little shots of espresso, they were giving out pizza that they made at the church. So I grab a slice of this mushroom pizza. It was out of this world good. So Visitation Church, BSM um, Visitation Church, not only a great place to pray, but if you have the opportunity to eat there, I recommend it. Now, can only imagine what the communion wafers taste like. So we start going in the... QL Carry Tunnel. Three of us are, are, are walking. Monica, Tommy, and me. And on the left side of the tunnel, they have the runners, and they're they're running. And a group of military servicemen, I think they were in the Navy, they start running and chanting. You know those chants that you always see in the movies? It's not just from the movies. But, you know, I don't know, but I've been told. And then they all say, I don't know, but I've been told. They were doing that in the in the tunnel. So Tommy, who had been walking with us, he just starts running with those chanting sailors. Just completely abandons us. Starts running with them. And then we meet him at the end of the tunnel, and then he finishes the the walk with, with us. And we're walking, and we all got our Frank Footer shirts on. And it was a lot of fun. I put up some pictures at Facebook.com slash Morano fan. But I was reminded of this call from uh, Tony in Florida on Friday's edition of the program when she asked this. Tony is in Florida. Hello, Tony. Good morning, Frank. Morning. I have two really quick questions. And I understand if you don't want to answer the second one. The first one is, what is the most embarrassing thing that's either happened to you or you've done? So lo and behold, we're walking, and there's Marines, Coast Guard people, firefighters, cops, every manner of hero you can imagine. And all the people holding the flags and the pictures of the folks, they're clapping, you know, go, you know, towards the end of the race, go, you know, yeah, oh, Semper Fi, whatever, Air Force, whatever. And so... A couple of the people towards the very end of the race that are holding these flags and pictures of people that have died, they say, oh, yay, Frankfurters. So 
Tommy Barlotta gives me an answer to that question. When he shouts back at the guys that say Frankfurters and say, yeah, this is Frank Morano from the radio. Now, these are young kids holding these signs. They have no idea who I am. And they all start chanting, Frank, Frank, Frank. Now, having followed Marines and cops and police officers that were being cheered right before me, that is now my most embarrassing moment, bar none. Your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Twenty years ago, Gamaro, everybody. This is Frank Morano. You're listening to the other side of midnight. Before twenty years ago, do you remember hearing anything about witnessing, observing, participating in a bachelorette party? I really think this is something that has emerged within the last ten to fifteen years, right? And um, I mean, unless I'm wrong. Unless if you got married in 1980, 1990, and you had a bachelorette party, I'd love to hear about that. And called it a bachelorette party. 800-848-9222. Because I, I think what happened here is um, women would get frustrated at, one, what their husbands or their would-be husbands were doing at bachelor parties or what they thought their husbands were doing at bachelor parties. And then they said, all right, well, let's have, let's have our opportunity to do the same thing. And, you know, it's funny. When I was single and I'd be in Atlantic City or, or anywhere, really, but that's the place I would most likely run into them. When you're a single guy and you run into a bachelorette party, it's almost like the equivalent of striking oil. Or discovering gold. I mean, it's 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 amazing. It's an amazing experience. Because for whatever reason, when a woman has a bachelorette party, uh, the all the people in that bachelorette party think it's okay to throw away all their inhibitions. See, what I think happened is this. Women had this notion of what was going on at bachelor parties. And I don't think that notion was reality. And I think they thought that at bachelor parties, guys were going around, you know, uh, doing all sorts of crazy drugs and banging strippers and all sorts of stuff. And I think that's really the the kind of thing that only generally happens in the movies. I'm sure there are really wild bachelor parties like that, but I've never been to one. So the bachelorette parties, they try to outdo the bachelor parties. So... It's an incredible thing to see the way these women act at bachelorette parties. They have um, little temporary tattoos stamped on them very often that said, um, if you find this uh, bride, would-be bride, buy her a drink, right? You know, it's, it's an incredible thing to watch. But, and in fact, they have gotten so wild, these bachelorette parties, 
that a lot of wineries and vineyards have banned bachelorette parties because they just get too crazy. And that was certainly anecdotally my experience. If you're ever a single guy and you're looking to meet a woman, take a look at a bachelorette party. It's like shooting fish in a barrel, right? Easiest thing in the world. So now, fascinating article in the Wall Street Journal uh, this weekend. And um, I want to thank uh, our friend Obi Murray for emailing me this, but I, I do read the journal on the weekend, so I think I probably would have seen it anyway, but I'll give Obi a shout-out nonetheless. There is a new trend in bachelor par- bachelorette parties, which I think is so bizarre and not the least bit surprising. Headline, Venmo the Bride, Bachelorette Parties Ask Strangers to Foot the Bill, in a nutshell. What more and more bachelorette parties are doing in Nashville, New Orleans, Austin, Las Vegas, I have not seen it in Atlantic City, and Atlantic City's not mentioned in this Wall Street Journal article. What more and more bachelorette parties are doing is they have QR codes where they basically um, ask strangers to send the money to cover the cost of party expenses. So they have, um, they, they profile this one bachelorette party that took place in Charleston, North Carolina. And they had this entourage, right, of bachelorettes. They traveled to Charleston like a conga line on wheels. Other drivers honked horns and gave a thumbs up because, hey, if there's something worth celebrating, it's a bachelorette party. At one point, rained, rain ruined their handmade car de- decorations, so they stopped on the side of the road and repainted the signs. But the hassle paid off, and they again heard the joyful cha-ching sound of Venmo notifications. So if you go to Nashville, New Orleans, Austin, or other hot bachelorette trip destinations— you'll see these unveiled requests. Before brides wear white, as the journal writes very cleverly, they're looking for green via payments sent through Venmo. So on the car that the bachelorettes were parading in in Charleston, it says they they have a painted sign on the car that says, buy the buy, excuse me, buy the bride a drink and Venmo the wifey. And it provides the Venmo address for the party. How much do you think these girls made just driving around Charleston saying it was a bachelorette party? By the end of the trip, Miss Norris and her friends, Savannah Norris, that's the bride, Savannah Norris and her friends collected over $450 made up of hundreds of $1 and $5 Venmos. Can you believe that? From people giving a dollar and $5, these girls made $450 to go out and get drunk with? I, to me, this is absurd. This is ridiculous. Um, quote in the journal... 
we thought, why not? Some people may think it's like begging for money, but we didn't think about it like that. Said Miss Norris, who recently left her public relations job at a Parks and Recreation Department. Yes, she left to be a full-time beggar. (laughs) Quote, we had a lot of good interactions. When we would stop and get food, people would say, we love the van, or oh my God, a bridal party. This is absurd, in my view. I'd love to know what you think of this. This new trend of bachelorette parties advertising the fact that you can send the money. I don't know what I'm more um I don't know what I'm more sore over. The fact that these entitled women are begging strangers for cash as if they're exotic dancers or the fact that I've never thought of something like this. This is ridiculous. Etiquette expert, if you want to comment, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Etiquette expert Lizzie Post, who is the co-president of the Emily Post Institute, she gave this a big thumbs down. Um, And she has noticed more pressure to throw big celebrations. And she said that soliciting money goes too far. Quote, I think it is startling to look, it's, excuse me, it's starting to look a little like I'm shouting out to the world, give me, give me, give me. When I, when I then place an etiquette lens over it, it doesn't pass muster. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing we at Emily Post are wanting to encourage right now. Good. I'm glad somebody out there still has a brain. I would love to know if you think this is okay. I'd love to know if you've been part of a bachelorette party that has done this. Buy your own drinks. Or, I mean, look, when you're in a bachelorette party, you don't even have to buy your own drinks. You just say you're part of a bachelorette party. You're not going to have to pay for drinks anywhere. Um, I find this reprehensible. And I'm not the only one. According to this article in the Wall Street Journal, these asks, this digital begging, can backfire. A bridesmaid on Reddit shared how the buy a drink sign on the back of her group's car prompted another driver to Venmo the bride a penny and tell her to get out of the left lane. That's pretty funny. I like that guy. Uh, The strategy sprang up on social media. Now bachelorette revelers are putting stickers with QR codes or the bride's payment info on T-shirts, telephone poles, and bar bathroom mirrors. What? Who would do this? Bachelorette part, excuse me, bachelor parties, according to the journal, are taking part two. I'm skeptical of that. I don't think that's accurate. I haven't seen it. Um, but Etsy templates include buy the groom a drink stickers while Walmart sells men's T-shirt that say, Beer me, I'm getting married. I guarantee you these bachelor parties are not taking in $450 from strangers. Nobody is giving money to a stranger for a bachelor party. Nobody. I don't don't think so. Summer Baldwin, a 26-year-old production coordinator at a custom sign business in Omaha, rolls her eyes at the carloads of bachelorettes she frequently sees in vehicles decorated with signs saying, buy the bride a drink, and listing a Venmo account. 
Quote, I'm like, uh, I'm always so tempted to request money from that handle. They're just not reading the room. I think this is bizarre, but I guess this is where we are now in society, ladies and gentlemen. I guess this is where we are. And you know what also bothers me? The cost to attend a wedding, to attend a bachelor party, to attend a bachelorette party, it has skyrocketed. It's gone crazy. It costs a fortune. If you're asked to be a bridesmaid these days, that is basically an invitation to poverty. And nobody is forcing these brides and grooms and bachelorettes and bachelors. Nobody's forcing them to have these crazy parties. What's wrong with a small brunch or something? Go to a nice dinner. Um, I don't understand why they've made them so expensive that not only do people bear a financial cost to be a part of them, but you have to beg for money from strangers? I think it's bizarre, personally. But no judgment. Well, a slight judgment. If you want to contribute, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. And I believe my Venmo is uh, Frank-Morano, if you want to Venmo me something. I'm just kidding. Don't you don't need to Venmo me anything. The the nice thing, if you want do want to contribute, the nice thing, and a couple of listeners have done this, uh listener named Janice has done this and others. The nice thing I think is if you were to put me in your will. I think that's a nice thing. Um that shows some real thought. But I'm not a stranger, right? I'm your friend. We spend every night together. You know, people that it's totally different. Robert is in New Jersey. Hello, Robert. Hey, good morning, Frank. How you doing? Doing great, thanks. Quick story, <clears throat> two quick stories. I-, I was driving down Route 80, and I saw somebody had that written on the back of their car. Just married, Venmo us, bride and groom. They had had a state place. I oh. thought it was a cute idea, you know. Well, at least that's a married couple, right? They're not exactly. presumably using this for a-, a night of debauchery. Exactly. But more recently, I was on the Jersey Turnpike getting fuel, and I saw couple of women holding up signs, and as they drove past, that's what it was. It was a Venmo, and they were, you know, asking truckers or whoever, you know, to Venmo the bride money, trying to get to, I think it was Atlantic City or whatever they had up. And I, I got to be honest, it was a little creepy that they were begging for money on the turnpike. It, 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 you know, I don't want to sound, you know, all manly, but it was, it was almost, it was almost like like you said, like prostitution, like begging for money, your go go girlish. They were uh, they were holding up signs, shaking their you know what to, to these guys with their Venmo on it. And I, and I said, well, if you, in my head, if you couldn't afford to go, what are you going for? You're asking. Right. I don't know anyone in the group. You're asking me for money. Exactly. Don't go. Stay home. Exactly. Have a dinner. Have a lunch. Or do what you can afford. You know. Um, I I do wonder in that case how much they were getting in contributions. Did you get the impression or could you tell if other people were Venmoing them that money? Well, I could put it to you like this. Being a single guy, I, uh, I wouldn't have stopped for, for any amount. All Hey, I guess so. I guess so, Robert. Hey, um, Robert, great call. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great day. 800 That's 1-800-848-9222. Uh, the, the other somewhat related story to marriage that I wanted to mention, I, I saw in um, the New York Post, 
This was terrible. Um, a fella with a 48-year grudge was caught urinating on his ex-wife's grave every day. Have you seen this? So this fella, <clears throat> as clearly is the not of the let and let live philosophy. So he was discovered by this dead woman's children. I don't it doesn't say if it was his children, I'm assuming it was not. But they realized something was wrong when they discovered bags of poop left at their mother's final resting place. Michael Andrew Murphy told the New York Post, I felt like getting out and killing him. They caught this guy repeatedly desecrating the burial site of his mother, Linda Torello. Um, She died five years ago from cancer, and she's buried in Orangetown, New York. And apparently this young man whose mom passed away, he and his sister first noticed a plastic bag of poop at their mother's grave in April and thought it was something left by mistake by a dog walker. That's what I would think, too. But then it happened again. Then they called the police who took a report and they were determined to figure out what was going on. So they got permission, this woman's kids, from a cemetery manager to place trail cameras in the trees to see if they could catch who was doing this. And so when they checked the camera footage, they spotted a man who was briefly married to their mother in the 1970s. The footage was too blurry and too grainy to take it to the authorities. So a week ago, this fellow Murphy and his sister got up at 5 a.m. to drive to the cemetery and lay in wait. And Murphy set up his mobile phone on a nearby gravestone. I, I just, I can't believe any part of this story. This is, I know it's it happened, but it's just unbelievable to me. They uh, set up this mobile phone on the gravestone to take better shots, and they hid behind a small shed. The video in the pictures indicated that the man drove to the cemetery almost every morning between 6.14 a.m. and 6.18 a.m. with his current wife, got out of the car, walked to... Torello's grave, and urinated on it. Um, Murphy, the son of the woman whose grave is being urinated on, quote, I can't get my wife to go out to dinner, but this guy gets his wife to go along with him to desecrate my mom's remains every morning. I was shaking while I was hiding. My sister was crying. I was sick. I was so angry. So he claims he's gone to the police at least three times, and they refuse to let him speak to a detective. Um, the, man, the, the New York Post is not revealing this man's name since he's not been charged. But um, apparently what's being reported is that this, the urinator left their mother when she was pregnant and never had anything to do with his biological children except for one time earlier this year when he ran into the daughter and said, 
He wished she were dead and cursed her and her mother. Wow. What a what a peach. So I um I don't understand what would possess someone to urinate on the grave of one of your enemies. And can you understand that? I do not get it. Do not get it in the least. Um, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 800-848-9222. We'll also try and do the uh, the $1,000 minute coming up in uh, coming up in about five or six minutes where we'll give somebody an opportunity to uh, win $1,000 if they can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. So that'll be fun. Hey, uh, we're keeping an eye on um, what is going on in Italy. They had their parliamentary elections yesterday. And uh, Georgia Maloney looks uh, set to become Italy's first female uh, prime minister. And she's very conservative. They they characterize her as right wing. And they're saying this is going to be, I mean, who knows if this is a fair comparison? I don't know. That's why I asked Michelle Caruso Cabrera, because she's in Italy covering these elections. Uh, They're saying this is the first far right prime minister, if she's elected, since Mussolini. Now, I'm not sure how her politics compare to Mussolini. I'm not sure if this is a an apt comparison, but that's what a lot of folks in the media are saying. So that's that's where they are. Um, but um, it is interesting. You know, I, 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 there's a lot to like about the Italian system. I like that they provide a means for representation for smaller parties. I think with the Italian system and the Israeli system, the drawback is the instability, right? I mean, there's no elections at regular intervals necessarily. And if a coalition partner bows out, then all of a sudden the government falls apart, right? So it's, uh, you know, I can see the good and the bad in it. Maybe one day we'll do that as a, um, maybe we'll do that as a special podcast. I don't think I could put you through that as a radio segment of a presidential system versus a parliamentary system. I like that as a, uh, we'll do that as a special podcast. We'll get somebody on uh, on both sides of that one. But it is going to be interesting. She's a young woman. She is somebody that uh, she's partnering with Berlusconi's party, the the former prime minister, and she is partnering with the League. That That's another right-wing party. It's the, um, that's the Matteo Salvini party. So it uh, looks like she's won. She uh, She's claiming victory, and they just need to, I don't know, just make it official that she has enough votes to form a majority government. Her party is called the Brothers of Italy. So we'll see where it goes. It's going to be interesting. All right. Uh, why don't we do the $1,000 minute uh, in just a moment? If you want to participate in the $1,000 minute, you can be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. If you are the seventh caller... We'll ask you 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. You get them all right, you win some money. Get them wrong, you don't. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This song's called uh, Love Will Tear Us Apart. A lot of unique musical selections today with uh, the sick day that Matt Blaze is taking. Um, this, is, this is weird, but it, it certainly does fit the discussion we were having. Got an email here. I don't want to mention this fellow's name because I don't want to embarrass him or anything. But um, this gentleman writes, Dude, love when people begin their sentences by addressing me as dude. As luck would have it, my bachelor party bumped into a bachelorette party at a certain location. Legendary evening is all I can say. Of course, I was just an observer of the festivities because of my dedication to my betrothed. Sure. I actually believe that. Uh, Because that's how bachelor parties are. They're very, from what I've observed, unless I just have a boring group of friends and family, um, they're very tame. And then Chris adds, oh, sorry, Chris, Uh, keep up the good work. Evelyn writes, uh, bachelorette parties, more than absurd, in very poor taste, embarrassment to women, shame on donors. You know, I would love to see, and look, I don't want to ruin anybody's good time, but I kind of do. I would love to see some of those 80,000 IRS agents that are being hired. Go after the, make sure, I guarantee you these bachelorettes are not paying taxes on their Venmo money. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Those are the people I'd love to see them get go after and get audited. All right. Uh, without further ado, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Let us say hello to Alyssa in Manhattan. Hello, Alyssa. Hi, Frank. Uh, Alyssa, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Um, you know, Alyssa, very controversial name when it comes to this contest because we had another Alyssa who won a hundred dollars and she kept complaining that she did not did not get her money fast enough. So now well, she's, she's West Coast Alyssa on East Coast. Absolutely, Alyssa. absolutely. East is uh, East is is the best as far as the West goes. All right, um, you know the you know the rules, right, Alyssa? I know the rules. Okay, let's get started. What mythical figure supposedly gives children money? For when their teeth fall out. The gooseberry. What color comes from combining blue and red? Purple. What Yankee baseball player currently leads the league in home runs? Aaron Judge. What country is Loch Ness in? Scotland. Who is the CEO of Meta and the inventor of Facebook? Mark Zuckerberg. What is Joe Biden's middle name? Um, it's something with an R. That's right. It is something with an uh, R. Raphael? Ah, uh, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, Alyssa. Although that does have a nice ring to it. Joseph Raphael Biden. I like that. But unfortunately, um, his name, and you were doing really well at a very good pace, uh, too, uh, the president's name is Joseph Robinette Biden. Robinette, right. So I'm sorry. Alyssa, hang on, though. Give your information to the very handsome Kenneth, and we'll, we'll send you a uh, a consolation prize. Maybe Kenneth will sign an autographed uh, headshot or something. So 
So that'll be a <laughs> okay, treat. Okay, thank you. Hey, thanks Frank. for playing. Thanks for listening as always, Alyssa. Alyssa. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Joseph Robinette Biden. Always got another president's middle name. What was what was the last president's middle name? John. What about the president before that? Hussein. How about the president before that? Walker. How about the president before that? Jefferson. We don't have to go back before that. But um, so that's that. All right. A uh, couple quick things. Uh, if you want to comment on anything we've covered, you can. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. One is we got to figure something out here because so here's what, here's what happened. Last Thursday, we had that charity softball game that I was telling you about that I played in with Sid Rosenberg. And they have this, you know, giant screen at that nice stadium, you know, which where the Ferry Hawks play. And it there's a camera set up, and you see some of the action on the field. So I look up. I'm watching the goings-on. And I look at this, um, you know, I look at this. There's only 10 of us on the field, basically. And I look up. I said, wait a minute, is that me? And I look at this image of myself on the screen. I'm not kidding you. It looks like Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt. And really a lot like Jabba the Hutt because I was wearing tan. And I said, all right, okay, maybe it's just not a good angle and the camera adds 40 pounds. So then, lo and behold, they do these videos where they film what we're doing on the show and then put up a portion of it on social media. I hate that, by the way. What's the point of doing a radio show? You know, the theater of the mind. It's not theater of the mind that you can see on television, but whatever. I don't make those decisions. Um, so I look at this video that's posted of me on Thursday or Friday. I To say that I look like Jabba the Hutt is insulting to Jabba the Hutt. It looks like I'm Jabba the Hutt who just ate Dom DeLuise. Um, It is, I mean, whoa, whoa. So uh, I am going to be very careful with what I am um, consuming going forward because, you know, I, I knew that I had put on weight because I'd I'd stopped weighing myself, right? Because, you know, I, I didn't really need to be depressed, but... Uh, I tell you, saw that video, and and part of it is the angle, I think, because, you know, if if you, I, I was kind of slouching, and it looks like I really just disgusting. I, I mean, really did not recognize myself, and uh, I can understand why the haters on uh, on the Facebook are always making so many cracks about uh, my weight because those were absolutely justified. So then, um, and then the same thing at the uh, the walk yesterday. I, I, I look like a giant walking because I was wearing red, a giant walking apple, an apple with legs, barely, right? I mean that was really. So we may have to suspend um, pizza week this week. Maybe we'll do we'll do kale week this week. We'll see where that goes. But uh, I would encourage you, and there's a reason I have not shared any of those videos on social media. But So I would encourage you, if you follow our station's Facebook page, no need to go and search those videos or look at them. In fact, whatever you can do to suppress them. I wish those videos could be shadow banned 
the way my tweets about Russia are being shadow banned. I, sure enough, I am absolutely being screwed by the Twitter algorithm. There is something going on where my tweets are not being seen. If you want to take a look, yeah, I think if you go to my Twitter, at Frank Moreno, you will see my tweets. But they're not coming up in people's feeds. And I guarantee you it's because I've been critical of Volodymyr Zelensky and critical of this blank check that we've given to the Ukrainians to have this this war this uh war go on forever but um sure enough these giant photos these videos of me looking like uh job of the hut 8 dom deloise i was going to say because i i said they should instead of having my video in there and keep having me wear needing to wear a clean shirt they should just insert digitally a photo of job of the hut but uh, then I said that's not really proper because I'm actually bigger than Jabba the Hutt in, in these recent videos. So uh, so that's that. Hey, we're going to get to your calls in just a minute. I am looking for hey, – you know what um, the people are warning about? A twindemic this year where once it gets colder and once it um, once people start going indoors again, that not only are we going to see an uptick in COVID, as we generally do with the winter, but they're saying this year's flu could be particularly bad because um, folks haven't been exposed to the flu much over the last couple of years because everybody's been in hiding and everybody's been isolated and working remotely. So that has really wreaked havoc on our immune system. So they're saying... And I know this is going to be a controversial thing, but they're saying this makes it all the more important that you get a flu shot this year. So I am uh, I am going to get a flu shot probably in about a week or two. I'm going to get one. So that's that. Hey, one of the things um, I am keeping an eye on is the situation involving the asteroid. Have you been following this? Um, it's really something that's straight out of the film, Don't Look Up. Now, I don't know what this clip is, but according to Alex Barnard, it's a Wall Street Journal clip on asteroid defense. So I don't know who's speaking or what they're saying, but let's see. I'll be just as surprised as you are. Rivkin says the DART spacecraft will crash into Dimorphos at nearly 14,000 miles per hour. This is what scientists call kinetic impactor technology which involves using spacecraft designed to deflect a near-Earth object to change its orbit so that it misses our planet. We don't know whether Dimorphos is going to be more like one big rock, whether it's going to be like a pile of gravel that's just hanging out together gravitationally in space. Those will react differently to getting, getting whacked by DART. Little is known about the look of Dimorphos. Only pixelated telescopic and radar images have provided small clues about its surface. So navigating a small spacecraft traveling at thousands of miles an hour leaves little room for error when targeting a relatively unknown asteroid. You can't sit there with a joystick and steer yourself in that fast. Now, um, I'm not sure. It sounds like that was basically someone reading the Wall Street Journal article and one of the experts that was featured, but I'm not sure which one it is. NASA, but uh, we were shorthanded today, so, you know, cut everybody some slack. NASA is intentionally going to slam a spacecraft about the size of a vending machine into a space rock the size of a great Egyptian pyramid. 
This is very similar to a key plot point in Don't Look Up. You can watch this live today. How cool is that? So the mission, as you heard there, is called DART. DART is an acronym. It stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test, and it is the first ever attempt in human history to purposely move an asteroid. So Dimorphos, the asteroid that they're going to try to move, is not a threat to Earth, but the mission is an experiment to see how civilization could alter the path of a menacing asteroid. Should one be on a collision course with the planet? This is a critical $330 million mission, and who knows, this could pay off big time one day. I am skeptical, by the way. I'm not saying this asteroid is going to collide with Earth. But if it were, I don't think they'd tell us. I think they would do something like this. They'd say, yeah, we're knocking this asteroid just as a test. Or I think there might be another asteroid that they're not telling us about, which is on a collision course with Earth, which makes this all the more important as to why they get this test done now. Because is it me or over the last seven months, six or seven months, have you all of a sudden heard a lot more about how we're going to handle colliding asteroids? I've gone my whole life and asteroids coming towards the Earth and destroying the planet were the stuff of science fiction movies. Armageddon, Deep Impact, Asteroid itself, Don't Look Up. And now all of a sudden it's a priority for not only our government, but other governments around the world. It just makes you go, hmm, hmm. I don't know. Tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to Joe in Ron Concoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. from uh, Staten Island. <laughs> uh, we had a great weekend, Frank. I was listening to you about the, um, you know, the, um, the, what do you call it? The, um, now I've lost my train of thought. Oh, the, oh, the bachelorette parties? Thank you. And I think it's ridiculous that people have to fund uh, their debauchery like that. Me and my wife, when we got married, uh, right before we decided we weren't going to do anything like that because it was disrespectful uh, to each other because we heard stories about how, uh, you know, most of these people went out, they fornicated and did things that they shouldn't have done. And then six, eight months later to a year, they end up in divorce court. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and my wife, we respected each other. And we thought, you know, we, we didn't do it. And uh, I think it's Why should we have to pay for somebody else's stupidity? Well, That's I mean, look, I, I agree with you, right? I wouldn't contribute. But in fairness to them, nobody's forcing you to pay, right? It's not like there's a... A, a, a checkoff box on your taxes funding for bachelorette parties. You, you're making the voluntary decision to Venmo that money, right? So, I mean, you don't have to pay. They just, they would like you to pay. All right. You're right. You're right. Have a great night, Frank. Thank you, Joe. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. It reminds me, years ago, um, there was a website. Um, and this was before the age of GoFundMe or anything like that. But it reminds me, there was a website. It's, it's not up a, a, anymore, but it was 
GiveMeABuck.com or GiveMeABuck.com, something like something along those lines. I just tried it. It's no longer operative. This is in the early days of the Internet. And basically this guy was just asking folks to send him a dollar. Now, at least I found that kind of amusing. But um, I, the fact that this is actually a strategy which bachelorettes are using now, I don't know. To me, I don't like it. I do not like it. Um, I will say, so you know, this week is not only my wedding anniversary on Wednesday, but it is the two-year anniversary of us doing this show in the overnight, which uh, I'm very excited about both. So my wife and I were uh, going to go out to, we're going. We're planning to go out to dinner on uh, on Wednesday at a spot where we had our first date, So, so that'll be something. And, you know, it's funny, a friend of mine, he is a good guy, very nice guy, but he's a very persistent socializer. Like, he, he's the kind of person that says, um, oh, you know, do you want to have lunch uh, on Thursday? Can't do it on Thursday. Oh, well, how about Friday? Oh, well, oh, I can't do Friday. Oh, how about next Friday? You know, he'll always be ready with another invitation. Super generous guy. I like him very much. This is my racquetball uh, partner. And he's trying to work on something with Tony Danza. And it's a great cause and it's a great idea. But, um, you know, he wants me to go to this Tony Danza show on Wednesday. So I write to Rachel, and I didn't realize Wednesday was the date of our anniversary at the time that I sent that email. I just realized it was Wednesday. I didn't realize it was Wednesday, September 28th. So I forwarded this email to, to Rachel. And I said, you know, do we have anything on this day or can I go to this? And she said, that's that's the date of our anniversary. That's the day that you said you wanted to go out to dinner or something. And I I said, oh, okay. And so I write to my friend. I said, well, I can't really do it. Sorry. And he says, all right, well, I really need you to go to this Tony Danza thing. You said you would go. He's only performing this week. And um, maybe we can go Thursday or Friday. And I said, it's very difficult for me to go in because – I really, my wife usually works till at least 5.30 or 6, so I have to watch, not have to, it's a pleasure, I watch Carmine until she's done with work. So if I'm going to come into Manhattan for a 7 o'clock show, I'd have to leave by a quarter to 6. And that really potentially screws her up in terms of needing to rush to be done with work. And Friday we have plans, we have, uh, you know, we have plans on Friday ourselves I said, why is it essential that I go? And he laid this big guilt trip on me. I need you to be there. You have to be there. You said you would go. And you know who the big loser in this is going to be? It's going to be you. Because from now on, now I'll never stick with what I'm about to say. But from now on, I'm just saying no to everything. Everything. I'm just saying no to everything. That's what I'm doing now. Because this happens to me all the time. I just get, um, I get so committed to these things, I say yes to too many things. That, that, that's it. I, 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 the last thing I need this week with everything I have going on is for to be guilted into not going to see Tony Danza. So that's where I'll probably be on Thursday. So that's it. Uh, all right. 800-848-9222. Also got an email here from Evelyn on the uh, grave urinator. She writes, a very sick, disturbed man. What type of woman is the wife to go along with it? Isn't public urination a crime? I'd love to see him arrested and go before a judge. 
What goes around comes around. I believe that too. I believe that too. Uh, I do think you put it, you put, you get back from the universe what you put into it, which is why I generally always try to say yes to everything. But then you overcommit and look, you know, you end up hurting the people that really rely on you. Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Oh, Frank. So two quick things, if I may. First of all, the saying the no thing is a very good thing. I taught my kids as they, when they were younger, always try to say no a lot of times. And then, yeah, 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 they would tell me, yeah, that, okay, okay. And then I get a phone call about two months ago, and they're 27 years old now. And they said to me, they're twins, Nick and Alex. And they said to me, Dad, you're right. What am I right about? Well, I heard Warren Buffett say today, you should say no 85% of the time if you want to be successful. I said, well, there you go. And the, uh, the second thing is with the bachelorette party, I would most definitely pay. I'd give him, it, I'd give him the money in cash because I don't know how to do Venmo or whatever you call it. And then after I pay, I would ask, now can I play? I'd go with them. How's that? Well, see, that makes um, at least some sense because it's not like you came across the Venmo code in a bathroom or something and you're giving money to people that you don't know. If you're meeting them in person, at least you know them, right? And you're, you're potentially participating in the party. That makes a little more sense than what I think a lot of these folks are uh, are doing. You know, it's funny. Just about the just say no philosophy, the my doing a Nancy Reagan, William Shatner uh, and Joe Franklin – Basically, their philosophy was the exact opposite. And it's the one I've always tried to adhere to, was always say yes. And Shatner always says, why say yes? Yes means opportunity. Yes makes the dots in your life appear. And if you're willing and open, you can connect these dots. You don't know where the dots are going to lead. And if you don't invest yourself fully, the dots won't connect. No closes doors. Yes kicks them open. And that is a message that I've always tried to go by, but I feel like um, I am my own worst enemy with this stuff, overcommitting and, uh, you know, so forth. So um, so that's why I'm going to experiment with this just say no philosophy. You know, uh, it's, I'm going to get an automated email response. It says, no, cannot attend to anything. Let me say hello to Jimmy on Staten Island. Hello, Jimmy. Hey, Big Frank, how are you? God bless you. I want to uh, wish you a a blessed uh, wedding anniversary. And I would like to let you know that we both share the island we live on. And it's my birthday. That's the day I was born. All right. Well, uh, if you end up at the same restaurant we're at, maybe we'll sing to you. No, uh, well, listen, I'll tell you one thing. I'll share my little personal. Um, I'm on the 28th. It's a milestone. I'm going to be 6-0, Big Frank. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you something, but I'm leaving off on a good note. All I want is prayers because I love my God, and we all should. Oh, that's true. Um, I, I just came from Staten Island Hospital uh, 15 hours ago. I fractured my neck. I have a neck fracture. I'm wearing a brace and all. And I'm up all night just, you know, walking back and forth trying to do some exercise. But when I heard um, that that's your wedding anniversary, I said, oh, wow, that's a beautiful thing to leave the show on, uh, knowing that it's you and I uh, together that way. And I wish your little baby the best. And he's got great parents. And, yes, 
when you said we're your friends on the radio, that really made me feel good because I never felt so alone. Oh, well. I live alone, but yeah, being so hurt and in so much pain, I said I have to tell this guy because you're a gentleman and you're really great on the radio. And I, I know you from when you started on the radio, you know, with your own show, and I've been uh, a devout fan ever since. So I pray for you and your wife another 40 years, 50 years. Bless you, baby, and God bless everyone who listens. And say some prayers for your poor friend, Jimmy. Here. Yeah, absolutely, Jimmy. Feel better. Feel better. How did you fracture your neck? I got up uh, yesterday morning around this time, and I, I have my little kitty cat, my miracle. She's going for uh, She has a little kidney failure going on. So when I got up, I went to turn the lamp on, but I misjudged, and I went flying in the space. Oh, boy. I got wedged between the wall, but I, I, oh my goodness, but you know what? God is going to get me through this, and my beautiful mother and sister, they were right there, they called, I called, and I'm going to be okay, but I'll let you know in a couple of weeks how I'm making out, if that's okay by you. Sure, absolutely, please do, thank you. 800-848-9222, we'll do 15 seconds of fame in just a minute. I love this Facebook message. I am on Facebook at facebook.com slash Morano fan. So a gentleman on Facebook by the name of Luis writes to me and says, why do you have to pronounce certain words like an a-hole? Mosquito, brookaline, scrambled eggs makes you sound like an ass. I said, well, if the shoe fits, dot, dot, dot. His response, he just wrote to me. Going to get people that think the same as me and boycott the show to make you drop in ratings. You know, Luis, normally I would never encourage a boycott. But I, if you're going to organize a boycott around my pronunciation of the word mosquito, I would love to see who signs up for that. I, I would absolutely love it. And for all the silly reasons that people get boycotted these days, I think, hey, that's actually a legitimate thing. You have my blessing, Luis. Best of luck with your boycott. In fact, if you want to call in and promote the boycott, uh, I would love it. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Johnny! Roger Stone's book about LBJ killing JFK is spot on. I've studied this theory. It makes total sense. Bob! Yes, now that abortion is illegal in certain states, these states must provide a tax credit at the time of conception. Fred! Hey, good morning, Frank. My neighbor just just uh, rescued a cat and a dog. Things didn't go that well. Let's just say the dog's name is Curiosity now. <laughs> All right. For everybody else, I'm sorry we didn't get to you. Happy Rosh Hashanah for everybody that's celebrating. You want to stay in touch, you know how to find me. Uh, Frank Morano, good day.